With another summer approaching and my springtime allergy smacking me in the face like a pie meant for Bill Gates, it has brought back so many memories from my childhood this past week. Summers in the Northeast are special because some of us only get a few days of good weather. For me, nothing could be better than getting out of school, going to the local pool with my friends, and going to concerts. Now that I've been an adult for a while, that feeling of something to look forward to during the year has faded. Even the good weather days aren't something to enjoy when you have to go to work anyway. What do we have to look forward to anymore? We are fairly optimistic in our approach here at The New Prisoners, and we have gotten some great feedback from listeners out there who may have needed to hear that kind of message. I'm glad we sent it, and I am thrilled that it has been received by all of you that have shared that with us. But if we are to all look forward to anything politically in the U.S. or even the world, what would that be? How about consequences? Pain? Justice to all that have put our world in such a terrible state for the past several years, if not decades. That sounds like a pretty damn satisfying thing to me. Still not enough, though, as we all have probably learned from some of our favorite superhero stories, that the bad guys always seem to come back. So how do we make sure that whomever steps out of the wormhole connected to hell at CERN finds themselves powerless to put us back in lockdown, strip us of our rights, and experiment on all of us again? Simple. We build a new generation of freedom fighters, wise asses, and shit talkers just like us. How can we do that? Through a cultural awakening. There is no one simple solution to our problems. Hell, try to explain the events of the past three years now of this pandemic to someone not in the know and see if you can do it in just a few sentences. Our story can't be told in a tweet or a haiku. For someone to really understand what has happened to our society, our culture of the past couple of years could fill a book series from Lifetime and we still would have to leave certain things out. Understanding isn't reached in a single moment, or even after finishing an encyclopedia worth of information. That's why some of our more scholarly friends here at The New Prisoners, along with us, continue to write and produce content because we are always looking for that greater understanding too. Our brains are never full. Our work is never done. As long as there is tyranny on earth, we have a mission to eradicate it, but life is short and evil like that can last seemingly forever. The answer to it is teaching others the ropes. I want you all to think back to the moments that awakened you to what was happening in the world. Like, what was really happening? Not whatever was being talked about in the mainstream. What was that moment? For me, it was finding alternative media in 2016. With the Russiagate hoax in full swing, I watched friends and family gobble up the bullshit like Pac-Man on a tear. Everyone was a Russian bot, 
Trump stole the election, and all the crazies that voted for Hillary took their shit ideology and brought it to corporate America. The propaganda campaign against a very flawed and inexperienced Trump didn't really garner much sympathy from me at the time. I was more concerned about what the propaganda was doing to the culture around me. Then I started listening to Joe Rogan and found Sargon of Akkad. Sargon, or Carl Benjamin, floored me with his performance on Joe's show. He was unlike any other guest in his approach. He talked shit on everything, including video game journalists, for their terrible political views that they were pushing on everyone. Joe was so enthralled that I remember Carl missing his plane back home to be able to stay longer. Since then, that episode and many others have been pulled from Spotify. Why pull an old episode like that? Because it had too much truth in it. Sargon's attitude and knowledge base cannot be let out of its cage by our powers that be and allowed to infect the others like us. Well, sucks for them because it's too fucking late. Thinking back though, I was in the right place at the right time. But I also had the right mindset. Even as a child, I couldn't wait for certain songs to come on the radio. One of those was Nine Inch Nails' Head Like a Hole. I would ask my dad to crank it as we would roll up to school. Thanks, Dad. And the vibe of that song still sticks with me all these years later. Some of you won't like the tone or the other material Trent Reznor has done. Can't really see most of my conservative or religious listeners getting down with much of the downward spiral, but check out these lyrics and tell me that they don't still hit hard. Head like a hole, as black as your soul. I'd rather die than give you control. Bow down before the one you serve. You're going to get what you deserve. It's that energy that still motivates me, from a young lad till now. What will it be for our children or grandchildren? What can it be for the people in your life that have been oblivious up until now? Whatever those moments are, I encourage you to share them with the people around you. There's nothing necessarily wrong with a simple pop song, a digestible story, or an action flick. There is some real power in anything that can awaken the spirit of liberty in the unsuspecting mind. Now go forth and awaken the others. We have an army that will last for generations to build. One mind at a time. You are listening to the New Prisoners. A copy of each week's monologue and source list are available on our Minds page and Substack. Check out our video content on BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, and Brighteon. For audio versions, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many others. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you find us. And join the conversation by leaving your comments wherever you can. You can follow The New Prisoners and The New Prisoner Number 6 on Instagram and The New Prisoner Number 6 on Gab or 
at newprisoner6 on Twitter. If you would like to be a guest, please email the new prisoner number six at protonmail.com and provide a brief description of the topic or topics that you would like to discuss, and a screener will contact you. You can always choose to appear anonymously. You can now donate to the new prisoners through anchor.fm slash the new prisoner number six slash support with a monthly donation of 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99. We also have a subscribe store where you can make a one-time or recurring contribution at subscribestar.com slash the hyphen new hyphen prisoners. You can also donate both US dollars and crypto to us on Mines and Odyssey. All donations go towards studio upgrades to make more content and advertising to spread the word about the show. Every amount is appreciated. Now let's get on with the show. Okay, I'm number six. And I'm here with John Henry, and this is the New Prisoners Podcast. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about the real nanny state, uh, Elon, Bitcoin, and ESG scores. That's going to be a fun one to talk about too. And then um, we're also going to be talking about Project Veritas. I know, again, but they do a lot of great shit. And uh, this week they did a little expose on Twitter. So I'm going to love talking about that. And then uh, uh, lastly, to wrap things up, the biggest event of the year, COVID Mania 3. So, John Henry, would you like to say hello to the people this week? Welcome back, everybody. I got some exciting stuff to talk about. They've uh, released monkeypox. So you're about to get fucked by the monkey. Let's uh, find out that Hillary greenlit the Russia collusion. That was interesting this week. Oh, yeah. um, defenders of Roe versus Wade, those who defend uh, violence and murder, uh, are now ready to commit violence and murder. If they are not able to continue violence and murder, there's no shocker there at all. But uh, yeah, you know, Elon's on fire right now. Went after, went after old Hillary Rodham. Uh, which I'm happy to see doesn't like his dollars being spent on lies. Uh, Jeff Bezos jumps in on the mix too, goes after old fucking basement Joe and uh, big events happening in Davos. So the global elites are gathering and trying to figure out how to take away your constitutional rights. So we got a lot of exciting things to talk about today. Uh, welcome back everybody to the end of the world. Yeah. And to start off this week, uh, I got this one from Newsmax. Now we we haven't been... John Henry, we were talking about this before we started uh, this evening. Uh, we haven't really been paying much attention to the people over at Newsmax lately because, um, well, their, their shit policies regarding the, the shots was one. Um, their election coverage and everything like that since, uh, since 2020. And there, there's just been some things, but they, they did a little interview with Rep Crenshaw, this guy. Fuck Dan Crenshaw. Yes. And there's going to be lots. You fucking cuck. Lots of that coming because oh, yeah. uh, this, this article is rife with uh, different quotes from Mr. Crenshaw um, about this uh, formula uh, thing that we have going on here in the United States. And uh, this is from Newsmax is rep Crenshaw to Newsmax Biden's moves on baby formula, uh, baby formula too slow. So it, it starts off by saying this is from Sandy Fitzgerald. It starts off by saying, it makes a lot of sense for President Joe Biden to have invoked the Defense Production Act 
Let's think about that for a second. Why do we need the federal government to invoke something called the Defense Production Act for fucking baby formula? Like, how big of a failure is the corporatism in America, you know, between entities like the FDA and the rest of the federal government and these private, you know, private quote unquote companies like that produce Similac and other things? Um, how bad is the system where, what was it, two babies got sick off some formula and they shut down the whole fucking production? Like all of it? Yeah, and they subsequently found out that, that actually there was no proof that it was from the formula. <laughs> of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, what was it even from? Did they find like a mouse? Was there like one like little mouse running around the plant and they were just like, oh no, we got to shut down the whole operation. Like, is there some stupid rule mm-hmm. where it's just... Yeah, I mean, we know what drives yeah. this. We know that everything is done in a very specific timeline. Oh, we are going to be talking about and that. And it was yeah. just meant to choke us. Yeah, choke us. And by the way, to the mothers out mm-hmm. there, um, you know, I've seen a lot of places where, you know, what moms used to use for baby formula is caro syrup, uh, water, and condensed milk. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think to yourself, oh my goodness, that's probably not very healthy. Um, take that can of Similac. Uh, look at the number one rated and distributed and bought uh, and sold infant formula and see what's in there. It is 46% sugar, moms. So, you know, when you look at the amount of preservatives and extraordinarily unhealthy things, uh, to think that putting basically simple syrup and, you know, milk uh, in a bottle with water is detrimental, it is not. So keep that in mind if you are uh, in need or if you know somebody that's in well, need. I saw a lot of people too. Then thank you for lending that tip to our audience, John Henry. But I saw another one too, where, you know, people can use good old casein or whey protein as well. And it made me think yeah. of this. Well, you and I have used whey protein and casein and other things like that throughout our, our adult lives. Um, it's pretty handy. It's pretty easy to get, right? Like you can, you can go to the nearest dollar general and find whey protein there now. Why is that? Oh, because it isn't regulated by the fucking FDA. <laughs> you can get whey protein anywhere, folks. And any kind of flavor, you can, you can get it uh, hydrolyzed. You can get you know regular whey protein. You can get any type of whey protein complex. I really don't fuck with the shit with the soy in it because you will poop your pants in it. It's not bioavailable. Let's, let's face it. Soy is fucking fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we should all know that yeah, by now. So, you know, nutritional supplements are not regulated by the FDA. Which, you know, tell me how far away something like that's going to be um, in comparison to baby formula. Yeah. You know, my recommendation is if you're going to go that route, go with first form. Because I'm a huge Andy Frisella yeah. fan. And, um, you know, his his podcasts as of late and even referencing some of these things are extraordinary. So, you know, there's a lot of different options out there to explore. But, you know, we go with uh, the methodology of terrifying people. Yeah. That you just can't get this. And where's that in the market? And by it's the absolutely way, ridiculous. where are all the people like like that that make products like that saying, "Hmm, I see a hole in the market that I can fill," and it's probably because of some stupid, like I said, like some stupid fucking regulation that in order for it, it because it's marketed towards babies, that it has to be well, regulated. I mean, maybe by the they FDA. just need to put you know um, a nutritional supplement for kids on yeah. there. Because babies aren't really going for the the same aesthetics as us adults, you know, and everything. But 
you know. I don't know. There's some pretty good memes out there of um, when we ran out of formula that parents started giving their kids protein with a bunch of Jack babies. That's what I'm saying, so. man. You're going to have some Jack babies now. But let's read on with this article. All right, let's get back to why <laughs> Crenshaw's a piece of yes. shit. Well, it says the Defense Production Act to help alleviate the nationwide baby formula shortage. But that should have been done weeks ago, Representative Dan Crenshaw said on Newsmax on Saturday. Now, that's just what you see with this administration. Problem solving after the fact. Now, I don't really... I don't really like that statement either because we know we know about Dan Crenshaw here and we know that he'd be far ahead of the problem because he's part of the problem reaction solution crew in the Republican Party. But nonetheless, let's let's read on. The um it says uh, on Newsmax's Wake Up America, uh he was on this is a major shortage, but there have been smaller shortages that have popped up throughout the last few months. But invoking the Defense Production Act and moving to send military planes abroad to bring formula back to the United States was an easy button to press, said Crenshaw. So it's easier to actually send military planes to another fucking country to take back the shit that we sold them, that we gave them. <laughs> you know, the, the, no take backsies, but we're doing it. Uh, it's easier to do that than to actually make something in this fucking country. What the fuck is wrong there with that equation, folks? Um, now, the, other, the last quote says, that could have been done weeks and weeks ago. Sure, it could have. I, I, I guess so. You know, the Monday morning quarterbacking shit. But what I wanted to bring up, though, we, we talked about this last week, John Henry, that a large portion of the reason why there is so few products on your shelves and why there are other products soon to be on your shelves, like BioMilk from Bill Gates's fat, sloppy tits, um, and, and from the Baphomet, too, of course, that's on the label, um, that if, if it takes so much to produce something like that, right? Just to point out that Baphomet does have titties. It does, or they. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. They, yeah, ba- Baphomet's a they. We don't want to upset My apologies. Wouldn't want to misgender Satan. You don't want to misgender Satan. Andrew Jean Satan, yes. Um, but what I was going to say, though, is that a large portion of the products that you can't get a hold of or can't be brought to market or a large portion of the products that will be brought to market and fucking force-fed to you is because of global warming, right? How much global warming does military planes sent to other fucking countries to pick up shit that was already made? To bring it back what's here. A, what's a carbon footprint of us funding two sides of a proxy war? Oh, well, that too. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about the, the entity that, has AOC. the largest carbon footprint on the, on the face of the have, planet, which is our military industrial think, AOC? Uh, you're big in environmentalism, and you know, you're know you certainly an advocate of the Green New Deal, and, and you also voted to uh, fund that fucking war. These people's hypocrisy is just unbelievable. I mean, it really is just absurd. I wouldn't leave an herb garden you know, in that bitch's care. <laughs> I wouldn't just, trust her growing fucking use parts. Her fucking, I'd use her teeth as a fucking tiller to turn over the soil and just hold her skinny little fucking yeah, ankles. Yeah, just wheelbarrow her right through that shit. Maybe that's what her boyfriend does. Maybe that's what he got paid all that money from the dark, for communism, <laughs> the dark money Alexandria. from. It's <laughs> to do that. All, all the dark money that went to her campaign. Yeah. Now, 
Reading on, it says the Food and Drug Administration this week approved the reopening of the Abbott Laboratories baby formula factory in Sturgis, Michigan, which has been closed for some months after a recall took place. Now, luckily, that has since been rectified to the point where they'll start producing in two weeks. But that doesn't mean their baby formula will hit shelves for another six to eight weeks. So that's the bad news, said Crenshaw. I mean, here's what it comes down to. We watch this happen with COVID time and time and time again. They do test runs. It's like a, a bank robber, right? Every movie you've ever seen about a bank robber, what do they do? They go and they scope out the bank. They scout it, yeah. They sit outside. Case it. They see what time the security comes. Exactly. They case it. So this is just another example of them casing us. Everything is a test run. It's a trial run. And what they do is they are going to instill fear in people. And then subsequently, there's going to be some type of action that's going to take place. And they're going to go back to this time and go, well, yes, based on that, this is why you need to do whatever the directive is at the time. Whatever the solution may be. Absolutely. Hegelian dialectic, 100%. Um, It says, uh, the other bad news he added is that there are only a few companies that make the baby formula in the United States. And I wonder why that, again, going back to regulations and a bunch of things, uh, with a market like that, you figure, I mean, unless you're Margaret Sanger, we're not supposed to be running out of babies anytime soon, or Bill Gates' dad. Um, But, and the FDA, it says, has strict standards on what can be imported too. So yeah, they can make baby formula right across, you know, the, the street, basically, in Mexico or Canada and other places. We can't bring it here. I heard we're bringing in stuff from fucking New Zealand. And from what I know about New Zealand, though, is that, um, well, they, they got a lot of grass-fed cows over there and stuff like that. And they're very, very green environmentally over there. So I'm sure that, that their, their shit's probably pretty good. But then a lot of people in America are like, I don't know if I can trust it. Well, you, you get your stuff from Walmart. God knows what they do to that stuff. So, uh, but <laughs> Just read the ingredients, folks. Oh, yeah. All you got to yeah. do. I mean, if this is a eye opener for how to make your own stuff and not be dependent upon these companies, then that that's the best possible outcome that can come from this, I think. But uh, this quote too. So there's a lot of pretty good baby formula, say in Europe, that we just can't import. He said. Also, a lot of the baby formula goes to the WIC program, the Women, Infants, and Children program. So it's getting the baby formula to poor families, and they only contract from a few select brands. So I like that too. So the rare the the contracts that are awarded to these conglomerate companies. I wonder if there's any. I wonder if there's any corruption there. <laughs> a few select brands. Yeah, you got to be part of the club. Now it says almost all of which are with Abbott Labs. So why do we allow a monopoly like that in something as critical as baby formula? Only through government, folks. Only through government would they fuck over babies like that. Because it's not like they care. I mean, they're, they're voting to kill them you know, even after they cut the fucking cord, right? The baby could still be in the room and it could be a couple minutes later and the mom could wake up and go, you know what? I don't like the way he looked at me. You know, he kind of looked at me cross. Fucking kill that baby. You know, and the Democrats. Hey, I'm going to go yeah. through this real fast. I'm going to go through <laughs> this real fast. Ready? Mm-hmm. 
Non-fat milk, lactose, high oleic safflower oil. Now, seed and nut oils and um, vegetables are extremely, extremely bad for you. Yeah. Whey protein, check. Soy oil, not good. Coconut oil, questionable. Uh, Galactogosaccharides. Wow, I'm typically pretty good with pronouncing words. That sounds like something from space. Um, less than 2% of C. Conhe oil, never heard of it. M. Alpina oil, beta carotene, healthy, lutein, healthy, lycopene. Okay, uh, potassium citrate, mm, calcium carbonate, uh, mm, absorbic acid, soy lecithin, anything soy is bad. Fuck you, soy boys. Uh, let's see, potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, ferrous sulfate, ferrous. I'd like to learn a little bit more about ferrous sulfate. Anything ferrous tends to ignite with flames. I'm not a big fan of that. Let's see here. Choline bitartrate, decent. Choline chloride, okay. Um, absorbal palmitate, salt, taurine. Oh, it's basically a Red Bull for babies. I like it. Uh, inositol, water. Hey, water's in there, guys. Zinc sulfate, mixed tocopherols, D-alpha tocopherol acetate. Uh, niacinamide, calcium panthenate. Uh, L-carnitine, good for you. Vitamin A palmitate, not sure what the palmitate is. Vitamin A is good. Copper sulfate, thiamine hydrochloride, water, riboflavin, water. Again, there's lots of water in here. This is interesting. Um, pyridoxine hydrochloride, folic acid, manganese sulfate, phyloquinone, biotin, biotin's good. Sodium seleniate, vitamin D3. Hey, there's uh, some salt vitamins, vitamin B12. Calcium phosphate, water, potassium phosphate, potassium hydroxide, nucleotides, endinosine 5-monophosphate, alpha-tocopheroacate, niacinamide, ferrous fumarate, zinc oxide, calcium panthenate, manganese gluconate, copper sulfate, boron protonate, pyridoxine hydrochloride, riboflavin, Thiamine hydrochloride, vitamin A palmitate, folic acid, biotin, chromium citrate, potassium iodide, myodendum amino acid chelate, selenium amino acid chelate, and cyanocobalamin. Mm. Sounds great. I believe the ferrous sulfate is iron because you, you don't want to be anemic when you're a baby. Bad stuff. Yeah, quite a bit of that I know is all uh, vitamin based, yeah. but there's a lot of hydroxides and there's a lot of palmitates and yeah, a lot of stabilizing type of things. Yeah, I get that, especially if it's going to sit on a store shelf too. So yeah, you're probably. I mean, if if you're a brand new baby, it's probably better off to get like the most natural stuff. You'd you'd think. So I'd probably go yeah. with that. <laughs> like breast milk. Yeah, if you can. Um, but they're working on that though. <laughs> we'll get to that in a oh, second. Yeah. But um, reading on with the article though, it says, meanwhile, and thank you for that, John Henry. It says, meanwhile, Crenshaw said he's introducing a bill. Of course he is. He's introducing a bill that would demand that the Department of Homeland Security, because there's never any reason not to want to fund the Department of Homeland Security more to do more shit, to have more involvement in your life, because they've done a great fucking job thus far, haven't they? Why wouldn't you, Why wouldn't you, Dan, why wouldn't you enable the goddamn Department of Homeland Security to disclose how much baby formula has been sent to the border for immigrant babies after revelations that there is, a, there is formula stockpiled there? Now, I'll say this. Our situation at the border is really fucked up, and it should not be that way. 
And we know why it's that way. We know why it's that way because of not only Joe Biden, but also all of the other NGOs that we're going to be talking about later in this episode. But still, like, you're going to rob the babies down there of their formula? Like, that? it's gotten that bad in this country. This is the United States of America, where you can go, I, I can leave my house right fucking now. I can go anywhere, and I can eat myself to death tonight. But babies are going to starve? Babies are going to starve. That, that's our priorities, folks. Now, it says, everyone, <laughs> everyone would love baby formula that would be there for everyone. But we have to choose it should be on American shelves, said Crenshaw. Oh, I mean, does it really have to come down to that, though? And it says, but the lawmaker said he thinks the shortages will be eased. The one good thing the administration is doing is these flights full of baby formula from a prod, getting them to our shells. It does depend on what part of the country you live in, on whether you're seeing big shortages or not. Um, again, the main facility that went down should be up and running within less than two weeks at this point, and the formula should be back on the shelves within six weeks. I'm not sure if that's much consolation because people need it now. Wow. So, thanks for nothing, Dan. And, and thanks for your stupid bill, too, to enable the Department of Homes, Homeland Security uh, even more. Yeah, that great uh, Bush-era leftover piece-of-shit organization that shouldn't be. Uh, fuck that institution. It should be d- destroyed. It should be, meant, it should be made to rubble. Moving on, though. I pulled this uh, because I was doing a little bit of research on our friend Billy Boy, <clears throat> what he's been up to with the breast milk stuff, following up on last week a little bit. And uh, this Guardian article here, it's about breastfeeding. It says, I want to give my child the best, the race to grow human breast milk in a lab. Now, much of this we already know, John Henry. This is from Jenny Kleeman, and this is published all the way back in November 14th of 2020. So, and we're going to go back even further of how long this has been in play. So, but let me, there we go, clear my throat. But, I'm going to skip past a lot of this stuff about biomilk and Gates for a second because I want to get down to another player. Ugh, let's not look at those two ever again. Um, there is another player in this market, and I'm about to get to it now. There we go. All right, so there is, and it says, the pressure not to accept the good enough uh, provided by infant formula weighs heavily on mothers who want to breastfeed and are prevented from doing so by biology or circumstance. So yes, we know that. It's enough to have fueled the growth of an underground online breast milk market. (laughs) Dark milk, folks. (laughs) This is where we're at. You've heard of the dark web? This is dark breast milk. We're there. Uh, the invention of formula should have put an end to the practice of wet nursing. Rather, the stigma attached to it has given rise to a new digital wet nursing economy. So, I guess, I guess squeeze them if you got them out there, folks. You want an extra side gig? I mean, a DoorDash is really taking it hard right now with the gas prices. Uh, I heard that, that a lot of those people are really fucked. If you've been driving for Uber, too, you're probably noticing all that shit is uh, going to be drying up, no pun intended. But um, when, we, when we talk about an, an underground market and what happens when regulation creates black markets, um, this is a hell of a one. It says services such as onlythebreast.com. Now, I don't know if this is still an active link, but 
maybe go on there and peruse. I haven't. Um, link up breast milk sellers with buyers. So what you're saying is, if I wanted to mix some good old natural breast milk with my protein shake before I go to bed each night, I got to hook up now. <laughs> now, I've heard it's highly absorbable, right? Mother's milk is supposed to be the highest bioavailability that exists. So, But man, that's a little weird. Getting strange breast milk delivered to you from the internet? Okay, I guess there's weirder shit in the world. But it says searches can be narrowed down according to location, the age of the baby the milk has been produced for, and whether the seller is following a specific diet. So if you want that good old vegan or gluten-free diet breast milk, or even paleo, yeah, we could do that too. The, the website advises that frozen express milk should be double bagged. <laughs> Much like most of the women you might encounter out there on the internet too. Uh, wrapped in newspaper and put in a cooler with dry ice before being couriered uh, to the recipient. Now, it would set you back around, and this is in, uh, what, uh, euros or pounds, 36 pounds, a day to feed the average month-old baby with milk bought here. And it says priced at one one fifty an ounce, not including postage and packaging. Now, the next paragraph, it says, of course, many women are happy to give their breast milk away for free. <laughs> uh, there are 15 hospital milk banks in the UK providing screened pasteurized donor milk, but it is destined for sick and premature babies and neonatal units. So that's a good thing. You don't want to take from those. Um, but it says mothers of healthy babies in search of breast milk often join one of the face of one of Facebook's dozens of milk sharing networks in hope of finding a nearby donor. The human milk for human babies UK Facebook group has more than 27,000 members. And a new request for milk is posted every hour or so, often accompanied by photographs of tiny babies wide-eyed with hunger. Now, I wanted to mention that, but then there's another player here. It's, uh, we're going to talk about this group, uh, about lab-grown breast milk. Uh, it says the availability of lab-grown milk won't ass uh, assuage uh, that desire to minimize all risks to your baby, Wolf says. One day, we will have 15 different breast milks to pick from each with different qualities. Mothers won't know which to pick, they'll say. If I take this one, uh, the baby will get a gastrointestinal infection. Or if I pick this one, they will get cancer later. That's not cool. And this lab-grown breast milk could be very dangerous because it could reinforce the idea that it really matters to breastfeed. But um, let's talk about the another player in this. And you'll love these connections here. Strickland's works in the U.S. It says, may be groundbreaking. But she is not alone. She has an equally well-funded rival across the Pacific Ocean, backed by investors as diverse as British vegan private equity titan Jeremy Collar and Prince Khalid bin Al-Walid bin Talal Al-Saud of Saudi Arabia. Imagine that. So the breast milk market for lab-grown breast milk is between Bill Gates and the fucking Saudis. The most trustable motherfuckers on earth, right? <laughs> you can trust them with anything. You could trust them when you go to your your, your nearest, uh, what is it, Saudi consulate, right, John Henry, like we talked about last week. Totally trust them with that. Yeah, go pick up your marriage documents, folks. Safe and effective. 
And then Bill, of course. Bill, who wants you to still go out and take these shots after, you know, everything that's happened in the past few months. But it says here in quotes, we are the first biotech company in the world that is using cell-based methods to create milk, says Fengru Lin, founder and CEO of Singapore's Turtle Tree Labs. With the steely confidence of someone who is sure her company is not only first, but will be the best. It says, I speak to Lynn and Turtle Tree's chief strategist, Max Rai, in a video call to their respective home in Lynn's native Singapore. It says, Rai moved here from the U.S. when they launched the company. She's in an emerald blouse, her hair scraped back into a neat ponytail. I don't know why the author's going on about this shit. He is every inch the relaxed American. That is, that's gross. Leaning back on his sofa in a blue polo shirt. Before I even ask my first question, Rai tells me they want mothers to breastfeed. I always like to say, right at the beginning, we think it's wonderful. We don't ever want that to stop. There's nothing else like it, he says. Even though we can make human breast milk as a product, we are still far from the real, real thing. And it goes on. Breast milk was an afterthought for Turtle Tree Labs. The company began by culturing cow's milk without the cow and can now produce everything from sheep's and goat's to camel's milk, taking stem cells from freshly expressed milk and culturing them instead of farming uh, mammary cells as biomilk does. So it says, it started a few years ago when I was learning to make cheese as a hobby, Lynn explains. It was difficult to find milk in Asia. There aren't many cows in Singapore. She traveled around Indonesia and Thailand and saw the problems of intensive dairy farming firsthand. Hormones and antibiotics are being pumped into the cows. As a result, and I there is a, a great, um, it's actually a Facebook page, and I wouldn't encourage anybody to use Facebook or Meta stuff in, in the first place, but this guy does fucking awesome work. He, he's, he, he's a dairy farmer, and he explains all of the bullshit um, vegan talking points about dairy farming. So I encourage everyone to check that out. But anyways, it says, as a result, the milk quality really suffers. They are impregnating the cow just to get her, her milk again and again. Every year in the amount of methane cows create, uh, it says 37% of global emissions. Now, this is where it gets even more fun, John Henry. Lynn was working as an account manager at Google at the time. So <laughs> now you have a Google connection too. It always has to come back to one of the global corporatist oligarchy companies like Alphabet and Google, doesn't it? And it says, after she, and, and says, and Rai, a tech executive, of course, came to give a talk on a new sustainable technologies. And when he mentioned the startups growing meat from labs in a lab, Lynn's mind turned immediately to milk. Afterwards, Fengru came up to me asking about milk, Rai says, and I thought, there's got to be someone working on this. There has to be. He holds his palms up in disbelief, but no, nobody was doing this. They founded the company together in early 2019 and say it was feedback from dairy companies that prompted them to branch out into breast milk. The folks who provide milk in the stores are the same people who provide the raw ingredients for infant formula, Rai says. Again, conglomerates, all providing the same stuff. They approached us and said, listen, you've got something really interesting. 
If you can make human milk, you can transform the way infant formula is done. We realize this is where the demand is. It's also where the big money is. Customers are used to paying a lot more for infant formula than they are for cow's milk. So that's the, there's, there's more to it. But that's the stuff I wanted to touch upon from this week's article there. Um, and by the way, all these articles that we're going through uh, during the episode, you can get on our Substack or on our Minds page. Uh, we call it our source list each week. Uh, so you can uh, get a hold of all these different articles and read through them yourselves. You can share them with friends and all those things. And it's a free sign up on Substack. And uh, Minds, of course, is also free. So let's move on. This one I pulled uh, from milkproduction.com. I actually had to use the Wayback Machine on this because the link wouldn't work. But when I searched for Bill Gates and Africa and milk, because uh, a listener tipped me off and said that Bill Gates has been working in Africa, of course, the um, I would say the farm team or the test market or whatever you want to call it uh, for many things uh, for many years with Bull Bill, including his uh, vaccine program. But this one says, uh, Heifer International receives a $25.5 million grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to expand the East Africa Dairy Development Project. It says more than 100,000 farmers to benefit in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. Heifer International received a $25.5 million grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to expand the East Africa Dairy Development, or EADD, project and assist more than 136,000 farm families in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. Now, this is dated from January 20th of 2014. So how long have these plans been in place? Well, let's see. It says Heifer International will work with and invite new investors from the public and private sectors, public-private partnership, folks, to raise an additional $16 million over five years to fully fund phase two of the regional project, which is designed to, of course, eradicate poverty in these developing countries. And we talked about this before, John Henry. Haven't they done a great fucking job of that? <laughs> when we go over the UN's uh, sustainable goals for 2030, how they're doing on that eradication of poverty. And, well, maybe because of their methods here. But we'll, we'll get to that. The project enables smallholder farmers to profitably participate in the growing dairy industry, improving nutrition, increasing farmer income, and access to markets. In 2008, the EADD program was implemented in Kenya, Rwanda, and Uganda, with an initial grant from the Gates Foundation of $51.3 million. This new grant will expand the EADD program to Tanzania while scaling up the impact of work in Kenya and Uganda. The second phase of the program will build upon the successes of existing work, creating a robust dairy, uh, dairy industry in this region where demand for fresh milk is close to outstripping supply. The goal of phase one was to reach 1 million people, approximately 179,000 families who were living on a small one to five acre farms and to double dairy derived income for these families by 2017. I wonder if they hit that. Uh, since 2009, EADD partners, uh, or I'm sorry, partner farmers have produced 297 million liters of milk with more than $131 million in sales. Now, the EADD project supports the organization of dairy farmers' business associations to develop dairy hubs 
providing most of the services that may be required by small-scale dairy farmers to increase their productivity and market access. Such services include financial services or village-based banks. So yes, the banks are involved in this. Health insurance for farmers, so the health insurance companies too. Oh, the most trustable people in the world, all aligned. Hardware stores, so retail conglomerates. Animal husbandry. I didn't know The View was involved in that. Uh, Breeding, animal health, extension service, and livestock insurance through partnerships with insurance companies. So now it says in quotes, our goal is to change the face of the dairy industry in order to improve food security. Yes, securityism has to rear its ugly face there, doesn't it? Nutrition and create sustainable, yes, sustainable livelihoods for the East Africa community, said Elizabeth Bintif, Vice President of Africa Programs at Heifer International. We will be paying attention to activity in the dairy chain at all levels, from production systems at the household level to the hubs to processors and policymakers, all the while working to ensure that the gains of the project are not just economic, but social as well, she continued. Yes, the ESG scores have been around for a lot longer than you probably think that they have. Again, this is from 2014. <laughs> this isn't last year or anything like that. Now it says, Bintif shares more detail about EADD in this little video. And we're not going to watch that, but it says the second phase of EADD will implement new technologies. You don't say. And practices in locations where the dairy industry is more mature. And in Kenya, for example, Heifer and its partners will help establish new technologies such as innovative approaches to fodder production, alternative energy sources. Yes, because all the alternative, you can't, you can't do this without fucking solar panels made by slaves that John Kerry <laughs> can make money off of. Uh, and then in partnership with Seattle-based, of course, Global Food Developing and, I'm sorry, Global Good, developing and marketing an improved milk transport container that helps dairy farmers maximize their yield while reducing costly spillage and spoilage. Wow. So I'm going to move on to this next uh, little article here because let's talk about Heifer International. I had to look them up and see what they were about. And guess what? Probably shit. Um, let's roll down here. And right in the middle there, there it is. Today we stand with the people of Ukraine. There's your first tip, folks. If you go onto somebody's website, right, where their job is to make fucking milk. <laughs> milk. And, and they have a picture of this goat. This goat looks high as fuck. But you even get a free goat tote with your gift. When you, when you, can, you can click on the thing and claim it, John Henry. But they, don't you worry. They are standing with the people of Ukraine. And then also, everyone deserves a life free from hunger and poverty. So they're all about the hunger and poverty in Africa and other third world nations, aren't they? Uh, the living income, uh, basic needs from hunger and poverty, yet millions of people can't afford them, they say. And then our model, we do more than cultivate land, we cultivate entrepreneurship and the work areas. It says, our work may begin with livestock, but it ends with transforming lives. Make a difference all year long. Look at that happy goat. Look at his little smile. Now, when we go down here, though, at the bottom is where you find all the links to all the other shit. Who else is involved in this horse shit? Well, you got the Better Business Bureau. You got some kind of transparency award that they won. That's great. Here's the one that I looked at. 
Interaction. Member standards. Well, what kind of standards could those be? Let's take a look. So this is Interaction's website. And under the Who We Are tab, Convener, Thought Leader, United Voice, it says, founded, <laughs> founded in 1984. Couldn't have picked a better fucking year, right? Interaction is the largest alliance of international NGOs and partners in the United States. Let me read that again. They are the largest alliance of international NGOs and partners in the United States. We mobilize our members to think and act collectively, hive mind even, to serve the world's poor and vulnerable with a shared belief that we can make the world a more peaceful, just, and prosperous place together. Now, it talks about their mission, but of course, of course, John Henry, just like with other investment groups and NGOs and other things, they all have to have the die approach. The diversity, inclusion, and equity. And yes, I'm doing it out of order on purpose because when you do it that way, it spells die. But it says, we strive to model the ethics we value as a mission-driven thought leader and standard bearer to better integrate and promote a diversity, equity, inclusion approach within the NGO sector. So again, the largest NGO group in the United States shares all this. And let's learn more about it. Interactions approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The international non-government organization NGO sector is entrenched in the same reckoning that the U.S. and countries worldwide are facing due to systemic and systemic issues, of course, of racism, sexism, and inequality. The sector has deep unlearning, unlearning, and reframing to do. You mean like brainwashing and propaganda? Okay. Um, it says, guided by the principle, <laughs> sure, of do no harm, interaction strives to model the ethics it values as a mission-driven thought leader and standard bearer to better integrate and promote a diversity, equity, inclusion, of course, approach within the NGO sector. Now, it says across the international development and humanitarian sectors, a consensus is growing. You don't say. I wonder if it's through pressure from groups like this that organizations must use an intersectional framework to challenge persistent inequalities and work in ways that are anti racist and not based on colonial models of engagement. Wow. So you wonder why the breast milk, uh, uh, breast milk market or even like the, the, the baby formula market is all fucked up? Well, because the companies and the other people that fund them and then the NGOs uh, that are influencing things in, in the political realm, uh, right? They all share this same platform. It is a forced monoculture, folks. They are forcing these values upon us and they're horseshit and they don't work. It's like you're trying to program something to do an action, right? And you put in the wrong codes. When you put in the wrong information, 
the machine instead of like, a, let's say it's like a CNC machine, right? John Henry say we're trying to make like a wheel hub or something like that for like a, you know, like a vehicle. Well, instead of doing that, it just prints out metal dicks, right? That's, that, that's, that's basically what happens here. They're using the wrong approach and they're forcing it upon people. And it says, NGOs are now rightfully expected to understand that race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, religion, sure, age, and class are each vast and complex identities that intersect across categories, cultures, and regions. Interactions DEI or DIE, if you ask us, approach moves its members toward an intersexual framework that will lead to broad organizational changes, which again, fuck things up. Related to localization, staffing, compensation, and representation, among others. While global considerations are critically important to the framing of our work, Interactions DIE or DIE approach is also specific to the US context in which our coalition comes together and where many of our members are headquartered. In the current divided political climate, Interaction has increased awareness of the urgent call to promote anti-racism and racial equity here at home, where it impacts the lives of many of our staff, member organizations, partners, and the community. As race and social justice, oh goodness, remain principal concerns in the U.S., Interaction will continue to be a leader and, I love that word, and ally standing against bigotry and racial violence that exist in our country. Wow. So I'm not going to go on too much more. There's one more paragraph. As I cough my fucking head off, um, it says our coalition has a responsibility to maintain a culture of inclusion for its employees and the communities it serves worldwide. It is not always easy or comfortable to engage in the DIE work, but interaction can attest to the value of internationally prioritizing and incorporating. Yes, there it is. What have you been saying the past couple of weeks? So you have indoctrination, incorporation, and death. Now, as an organization responsible to our own staff, interaction elevated DIE through its staffing structure and hired a third-party consultant to benchmark staff diversity, conduct focus groups, and provide the organization with a detailed DIE assessment report. Ooh. We are better for having gone through this intensive process and commit to continuing our internal work as a leader, as an example for the sector. So we did such a good job adhering to our own stupid fucking dogma that doesn't work in the real world. And we hired a third party to come in and tell us how good of a job we did with it. That's interaction, folks. That's that's the kind of people that are running this world. So lastly on this segment, I pulled this. This is from Dairy Central. And this is the dark side of lab grown milk. Um, Now we have, this is from January 21st of 2020. It says consumers opt for plant-based foods for many reasons, perceptions of health benefits, concerns about the ethics of consuming animals or concerns about the environment. This trend has food producers partnering with niche companies to use ultra-processing and fermentation technology to create inexpensive food components, like protein, starches, and oils. 
which can be used to produce trendy items with substantial profit margins. One thinker opined that veganism is a capitalist industrial dream of boxed products and ultra-processed fake foods that are completely disconnected from nature. So this is something right up your athlete, John Henry. Now, it also says the company Perfect Day Incorporated, for instance, has successfully used genetically modified microflora in a fermentation process to generate whey and casein, all without actually relying on cows to produce it. They claim that the resulting products are identical to conventional cow's milk, but are vegan and lactose-free. Some scientists speculate there is not enough information to know if this kind of food production is actually safe. This technology could be devastating to the dairy industry, as detailed in a report from American think tank Rethink X. They posit that by 2030, of course, they always have to use that, that, that year, they posit that by 2030, modern food products will cost less than half as much to produce as the animal-derived products they replace. Let me think about that again. Modern food products will cost less than half as much to produce as the animal. Now, how, how would they get there? Oh, by their influence on government. By government fucking Let's it up talk and making everything more expensive. Get there for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Keep this in mind, folks. When you take agriculture, farming, out of the equation, then the government is... the only source that controls whether or not you can eat or drink. So as you look through this and go, gosh, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that'll lower our costs. No, it's complete control of distribution. And it won't be cost from here. It'll be cost from elevated prices of those things so they can position them, just like they will with alternative energy, right? Gas has so to be $10 a gallon for, in order for electric exactly. cars to make so sense. So when they determine that fake milk is $15 a gallon and you can't get real milk because they've all been eliminated farmers and the, you know, the entire dairy industry because of this, that's the objective here. That's the goal at the end of the day is to completely concede you know, the control of all sources of nutrition for you or allegedly nutrition because i don't believe that you know synthetic bioflora uh, is going to equate to the same thing from actual milk i'm sorry i'm just not a believer in that and you know when it comes down to being heavily processed i mean this this isn't what your body one thing to keep in mind guys and we've talked about this and you know tj wright got upset because he loves him some taco bell and i talked about how taco bell just isn't food these things aren't food your body was not built to process these things. So when we talk about, you know, I I mentioned earlier, vegetable oils and and seed oils, those are not good for you because your body was not meant to process that form of food. What is your body meant to process? What are you supposed to eat? Well, you're supposed to eat animal proteins, fruits, and vegetables. That's what you're supposed to eat. So all this genetically modified, which damn near everything right now is genetically modified, but, you know, even these genetically created food, and I say that in air quotes because it's really not fucking food, you know, th- that is the objective behind all of this. They're not trying to solve, you know, climate change. It's all under the guise of that. Well, but the amount of methane gas that comes out of cows, fuck you, man. I mean, just please stop. And these are the people that, you know, everybody rests their laurels on climate change, climate change. And then these people, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they fund fucking proxy wars and 
you know, what is the expense of that on the global climate? They fly around in private jets. I mean, how many of these people are flying their private jets to Davos where they're going to bring this up because it always gets looped into every single conversation? So it's all about control, as it always has been. It's just now they are pushing it further and further and further and further. So to have manufacturers create your food that are under, well, I don't know, how about the FDA? So essentially under government control, which is, well, you know, that's socialism or communism, rather, you know, where, you know, governments control the organizations. That's really what the objective is here. And that's what they're pushing for. I'm not doing us any favors here, right? Because at number six's point, even though it may be half as much to produce, well, that doesn't mean that's equivalent to what our costs will be. And then they'll have total control. We don't want that. That's real bad news for everybody, folks. So don't fucking get all excited about this bullshit because it's absolute garbage. Well, and we have listeners from all around the world. Ask yourselves this. They're predicting in this article that the dairy market will be particularly hard hit, shrinking by 90% of sales by volume. Is that going to be good for your local area? Do you know any local dairy farmers? Do you know, know any local farmers? Do you have one down the street from you, maybe? Like, there's tons of places around the world where, like, that's the, the primary output, you know, the commercial product, the natural commercial product. I mean, we're talking about the, the building blocks of an economy here of just food and food supply. And like you said, them controlling all of it through corporatism, you know, the, the, the merging of socialism and communism principles with business like this. So now it says the cost of fermentation technology has just plummeted dramatically from 1 million US dollars per kilo in 2000 to a hundred dollars in 2019 and are expected to reach rates of $10 per kilo by 2023 resulting in lab-produced protein materials. <laughs> lab-produced protein materials. Yeah, keep that in mind. Materials. Yeah. Not actual protein, but materials. That are five times cheaper by 2030. It's all about meeting certain standards by 2030. I wonder why. Now, these inexpensive ingredients are extremely attractive for companies, of course, looking to boost sales margins. Cheaper materials combined into trendy in-demand items makes this technology hugely attractive to businesses looking to bring in larger profits. Companies could replace proteins found in a wide number of food products from fruit and vegetable waxes to processed meats and even sugars. You stay away from my processed meats. If I want to buy one of those Red Rocket looking fucking sausages out of the checkout line, this shit better not be in it. The global marketplace is already experiencing a surplus of milk proteins from conventional sources and these substances would further saturate the supply. Whether these lab-produced proteins would actually be more environmentally friendly is unclear, <laughs> of course. Reproducing milk proteins in a lab would appear to offer a streamlined process that reduces the space and resources need for conventionally raised dairy. But the true carbon footprint of large multinational corporations controlling the generation, processing, and transport of these substances is unknown. Yeah, so we don't even know. They're doing this, like you said, John Henry, they're doing it all for global warming. They don't even know what kind of fucking impact it would even have. But they're going to do it anyway. And it says, what happens when real food is a distant memory? Is that the kind of future we are facing? It says, synthesized milk components 
also come at a cost to local economies, just like I mentioned, and the livelihoods of many reliant on animal husbandry. Again, I didn't know the view was involved in this throughout the world. Tangible evidence points to the importance of animal-based proteins in economically struggling countries. Drinking milk has been shown to particularly benefit malnourished children. Raising livestock produces a source of nutrition as well as economic security. So yes, anything that you could privately own and control yourself, they want to destroy. They, they don't want you to own anything. They want you to live in the pod and eat the bugs. And we're not fucking kidding. <laughs> now, the impact of advocating for plant-based eating is widespread. Influencing farmers at a local level, shifting the recommendations of international organizations and reverberating within countries struggling with malnourishment and hunger. So-called big business have a vested interest in promoting food policies that can benefit their bottom line. By heavily advocating for plant-based alternatives, they're able to piggyback on consumer concerns about climate change and health outcomes. These lab-grown food materials may prove to be more harmful to local food economies and result in reduced access to wholesome and nutrient-dense foods, rather than provide a solution to issues of hunger and malnourishment. So it's actually going to generate the opposite effect. When have we seen that happen before? (laughs) Whether consumers will actually produce lab-grown products rather than conventionally raised ones is questionable, particularly as the conversation turns towards understanding the darker side this technology. And let's talk about some of the other stuff that's been uh, speculated here. I, I included this one too. I almost forgot. Um, this one's from foodnavigator.com. This is a really weird and interesting article because it's it approaches this from like a economics and like ethics perspective and like an academic perspective here. But it says plausible futures of dairy part two. Lab grown dairy reaches mass Scalability. And this is from October 14th of 2020. Now, this one, it says, In a plausible scenario for the future of dairy, food majors worldwide source dairy ingredients from fermentation factories, say researchers from Lund University. An 18-month research project conducted by Lund University in Sweden and funded by packaging major Tetra Pak has come to an end. The Global Trends Affecting Dairy Strategies study sought to identify plausible scenarios for the dairy industry in the coming decade. In the first part of Food Navigator's Plausible Futures of Dairy article, and that was dated October October 13th of 2020, two plausible scenarios were outlined. Green dairy, in which the future world is characterized by strong socio-environmental restrictions, and dairy evolution, a scenario not dissimilar to a business-as-usual approach. Now... Food Navigator is homing in on the two remaining scenarios, both which put technology front and center, new fusion and brave new food. Oh, that doesn't even sound right. Now, new fusion, I think is the one that I was leaning towards a little bit here in the article, and I think most of you out there probably would too. It says, in the new fusion future scenario, the world is characterized by weak social environmental restrictions. So they removed the laws, they removed the stupidity, and allowed uh, oppositions, uh, Christian Koch, a postdoctoral research at Lund University School of Economics and Management, uh, told delegates during a Tetra Pak webcast last week. At the same time in the scenario, technical, technological disruption and transformation is really high. Consequently, a plethora of new products and technological solutions are made available within the industry. 
So let me get this straight, John Henry. They removed the stupid laws and rules. Tons of technological innovation and disruption and transformation happens. <laughs> Go figure. Now, in quotes it says, as with all exponential technologies, change happened at a faster speed than predicted, explained the researcher, referring to developments in lab-grown and fermentation-based dairy companies. In new fusion, though, these businesses succeed in producing dairy cost-effectively and reaching mass market scalability. Farming takes many forms now, said Koch. Cow and plant-based as well as lab-grown dairy coexist to boost nat nu- I'm sorry, nutritional quality and precision nutrition. Further, lab-grown dairy brings protein independence to regions which used to import most of their dairy proteins and products, he elaborated. Since dairy brewing is feasible in any climate or geography now. So if you loosen up the rules a little bit, you can have a pretty much a smorgasbord, a, a, a fucking Chinese buffet full of shit, full of solutions, right? Well, let's look at the other one. It says, uh, brave new food, new tech, but strongly regulated. A fourth plausible future for dairy, the brave new food scenario is somewhat of a conflictual future said Coke. While it results in a multitude of new products and technological solutions, they are strongly regulated. In Brave New Food, only a few mega factory farms, only a few, in the hands of a few. This is the equity people that we're talking about here too. These are the people who want this shit. You're not getting anything. You're not getting any equity. Nothing. You're getting shit. But in the sense, Brave New Food, the mega factory farms, the ones that everybody hates, all the vegans, you know, talk shit on. Even we talk shit on. There's a lot of factory farming that you could talk shit on, right? Are able to remain profitable. Only the mega factory farms are able to remain profitable in this scenario. Considering technological and regulatory pressure, we were told. Premium conventional dairy, however, finds a strong market, particularly in artisanal craft dairy and cheese makings. Yes, so... Rich people can still get craft dairy and cheese, but you probably won't. And also at the same time, this and similarly to New Fusion, cultured dairy protein companies now product uh, now produce cost effectively and reach mass market scalability across a wide spectrum of dairy categories in Brave New World. Now, even highly functional cultured liquid milk has been developed out of Coke. Consisting cost, uh, considering cost advantages of heavily taxed animal-based food products. Again, heavily taxed animal-based food products. That's exactly how they reach the scalability part of this by making it more affordable because it's more affordable to the alternative, but everything is still fucking more expensive. <laughs> We're not going back down, folks. If the price of gas in your area now is high, imagine it twice as much. And then somebody coming out with an alternative that's $2 cheaper and saying, hey, this is cheaper. This is the best solution ever, right? You'd probably agree with that. But you wouldn't know that, you know, unless you looked into it, like listening to a show like this, that the reason why the gas is that high is because of all the stupid fucking regulations and, and moves done by these companies. All, the, all this manipulation. Now, with regards to plant-based, there is a strong growth which can be associated with nutrition improvements in taste and texture and sustainability, which is the key purchasing factor. The most environmentally friendly and nutritionally rich solutions have competitive advantages in the highly regulated food and protein tech environment. Public policy nudges, nudges, 
steer producers and consumers away from animal-based agricultural products, leading to lasting behavioral change. Oh, man. But the last part of this I wanted to read is that in the brave new food scenario, plant-based dairy alternatives account for 30% marking share, uh, whereas cow-based dairy drops to just 20%. Lab-grown dairy, however, takes 50% marking share. Given the radical basis for changes, the brave new food scenario is likely to produce the greatest change in the distribution of product origins, said Coke. So who's actually controlling the markets and where stuff actually comes from? But lastly, it states in quotes here, lab-based or fermentation-based products may reach as much as half of the market plant-based as a respectable part, and traditional cow-based products will be rather low. So it it is just all about market manipulation here, folks. It's all about it. And the implications for the industry part two, it does say, the researchers identified plausible developments over time in the Brave New World scenario, including governments around the world supporting animal-free food production. I wonder if we're going to see that from the UN by 2030. Of course we are. We're already there. And it's demonstrable environmental and health benefits. Says massive investments are made in cellular production as well as development of new super protein crops, said Coke. And it says Winston Churchill predicted the rise of synthetic foods already in 1931. While it took longer than expected, his prediction is coming true, with both meat and dairy protein derived from various cellular and agricultural processes becoming the norm. It says food safety is another area that sees increased attention as its novel products and their improved quality over time. Regulatory intervention of governments accelerate the change towards a new food system, we were told. So again, the regulatory intervention is what we're talking about. Now, let's talk about regulatory intervention in a completely different market. Let's talk about crypto for a second. Now, we're not um, crypto aficionados here. We're not a Tony Arterburn or any person like that. Uh, Shout out to Tony there for doing an awesome job on David Knight's show this past week. But um. I actually ran into this while going on YouTube, uh, and I haven't spent a lot of time on YouTube lately, actually. I've uh, been, been paying attention to more videos on BitChute, Odyssey, and Rumble, you know, the platforms that love us, John Henry, and Brighteon, too, occasionally. Um, but um, this one was actually kind of funky. So I saw, when I opened up my YouTube app on my phone, the first video that popped up was from Tesla, and it was a live stream. And it had Elon Musk's big stupid fucking face on it, and it said that Bitcoin and Ethereum are merging. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that sounds like a big news story. Why don't I listen in on that? Well, it turns out this was a spoofed stream, right? And this is a stream that's been spoofed to many, many channels on YouTube. And we'll talk about why. Um, so it says crypto thieves steal millions by replaying Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey investment videos. <laughs> So it was a scam within a scam. And there's, it gets even better, John Henry, too. It leads into something you know, a little different. But uh, let's talk about this. Um, they were saying that uh, Twitter's going to do a big crypto event with uh, $100 million. Um, the CEO, uh, CEO, Elon Musk and everything. Uh, cryptocurrency scams, and it says in the article, are quite common these days. Likely due, at least in part, to the perception that cryptocurrency is an easily accessible investment vehicle. And just last week, the Security and Exchange Commission, or SEC, announced that it is almost doubling the size of its crypto assets. Wow. 
and cyber unit in the hopes of protecting cryptocurrency investors. Sure, sure, they're going to be providing protection. You bet your ass. It says protecting cryptocurrency investors from scams and other nefarious schemes. Those looking to get rich quick should be aware that currency doubling schemes are simply too good to be true. You don't say. Now, as we scroll down here, it says McAfee uh, recently documented the prevalence of these sort of scams on YouTube, where bad actors are live streaming edited versions of an old ARK, A-R-K, invest panel discussion. The original event titled The B Word features Kathy Wood, the CEO of ARK Invest, and we're going to talk about her, as well as Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey. These edited videos trade on Musk's name recognition with titles like Elon Musk, Bitcoin, and Ethereum Merge, Incoming, ETH slash BTC Predictions and Analysis, Crypto News. Now, the videos feature the original panel discussion surrounded by information regarding the fake cryptocurrency events. Now, what I wanted to touch upon before we went any further, John Henry, is that when I watched this stream, this uh, Kathy Wood individual, the CEO of ARK Invest here, um, when she uh, went on, she started talking about ESG scores and disruptive technologies that change the world. And that's what she wants to invest in. So just like Adeo Rezi and just like the NGOs that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, again, we're seeing the same old shit from the same types of people in power. And my, they could be some powerful people. Now, the thing that bugged me about that, though, is that, you know, you expect to see from these corporatist, you know, shills, these, these assholes like Kathy Wood, you expect her to use those bud word, buzzwords like, you know, ESG score and stuff like that. But the thing that really got me, though, you know who didn't like raise their hand and say some shit? You know who's good for always talking shit on, on, online, John Henry, on Twitter? Well, Elon. Elon's usually good for fighting back a little bit, stand up for himself, you know, making fun of other people even. Um, he, he's had some pretty good one-liners. He's had some pretty good jokes about people. But you know what he didn't say boo about? He didn't say jack shit about ESG scores because he's probably all about that stuff. And so is Jack Dorsey. That we don't have to take any guesses up of. But um, now moving on though, I wanted to talk about ARC. This is Kathy Wood's company. Boy, it looks like they're doing good, huh? <laughs> they are down. Their year-to-date return, minus 50%. Stellar. <laughs> There's the link on how to buy. I think it might hold off. But anyways, their overview, the fund objective. ARKK is an actively managed exchange-traded fund, or ETF that seeks long-term growth of capital by investing under normal circumstances, primarily at least 65% of its assets in domestic and foreign equity securities of companies that are relevant to the fund's investment theme of disruptive innovation. The fund descriptions arc defines disruptive innovation as the introduction of a technology-enabled new product or service that potentially changes the world the, I'm sorry, the way the world works. Companies within, within ARKK include those that rely on or benefit from the development of new products or services 
technological improvements, and advancements in scientific research related to the areas of, are you ready? DNA technologies and the genomic revolution. Wow, transhumanism, number one bullet point, folks. The next one, automation, robotics, and energy storage. So, robots taking over your industry, your life, or chasing you down the street because you're a dissident. Who knows? And then to help them, to aid them in all of this, including making decisions on whether or not you get to live. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, Artificial intelligence and the next generation internet. And then the last one is financial technology, fintech innovation. That's what these kind of companies are invested in. So you don't think this shit is dangerous, folks? You don't think this ideology that's pervasive and all these powerful NGOs and investment companies like ARC, you don't think that that has an effect? You think it's something you can just laugh off and just call them snowflakes? You know, these bitches, these vegans, whatever. <laughs> just laugh them off. Well, no. These, these are the people that are invested in Tesla. These are the people, these are the movers and shakers. These are the people getting shit done in the world. And they're gaining. Well, for the most part. (laughs) Now, I also have here, this is from Yahoo Finance, Lagarde says crypto is worth nothing and should be regulated. So this is from Kagan Cock. (laughs) This is from May 21st, 2022. And look at this bitch. Wow. This this is, yep. This is who's going to be running your life, folks. Look at that little, little, is that a little Ukraine pen? Oh, of course it's a little Ukraine pan. Now, it says, uh, according to Bloomberg, your European Central Bank President, Christine Lagarde, said cryptocurrencies are based on nothing. <laughs> Not like they're fiat currencies that they use around Europe, right? <laughs> it should be regulated to steer people away from speculating on them with their life savings. So again, massive regulation coming your way, especially if you're in Europe right now. But it says, um, Lagarde told Dutch television that she's concerned about people, I'm sure she is, who have no understanding of the risks, who will lose it all, and who will be terribly disappointed, which is why I believe that that should be regulated. The comments come amid choppy times for crypto markets. Yeah. Uh, With digital currencies, Bitcoin and Ether down 50% from last year's peak. At the same time, the asset class is facing tougher scrutiny from regulators worried about the dangers it may pose to the broader financial system. The guard said she's skeptical of crypto's value, contrasting it with the ECB's digital euro. Wow, it seems like we've been telling you that some sort of digital currency is coming our way. Well, it says a project that may come to fruition in the next four years. Wow, the next four years are going to be something, aren't they? My very humble assessment, she says, is that it is worth nothing. It is based on nothing. There is no underlying asset that can act as an anchor of safety, she said. Now, do you think that it's market manipulation at all? Again, when you have this bitch, the European Central Bank president, saying that an asset that you trade, that you may own, ain't worth shit. Do you think that affects the market at all? You think that's market manipulation when she says that? I don't know. Now it says, I've, <laughs> pardon me. 
The day when we have the central bank digital currency out, any digital euro, I will guarantee. So the central bank will will behind it. All right, editor. It, or, um, and I think it's vastly different than many of those things, Lagarde said. Other ECB officials have already voiced concerns. One is executive board member Fabio Panetta, who said in April that crypto assets are creating a new Wild West and drew parallels with the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis, which was caused by the fucking government and the big banks. How can they even use that? But anyway, Lagarde said she doesn't hold any crypto assets herself because I want to practice what I preach, but she follows them very carefully. And as one of her sons has invested in it against her advice, she says, and this is my favorite quote, he's a free man for now, but maybe not in the next four years. Not with this bitch's digital currency that they can just take away from you or shut you out of just like China does at any single point that it wants to. So that pretty much wraps up the cryptocurrency bullshit for this week that I pulled John Henry. Got anything to add to this digital currency stuff? I just love how she references the digital Euro. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's just the irony is, is unbelievable, which will be based on nothing. Because they don't operate on a gold standard. And like we talked about with fiat currency. And um, you know, been over this over and over and over in the petrodollar. It's all a farce. So what she's saying is you don't want to have your cryptocurrency. You have to have our cryptocurrency. But it's not crypto. It's regulated. It's no open source, no open code, no nothing. So um, again, it just they're all fucking hypocrites. Absolutely. So moving on. Now, our friends over at Project Veritas, smashing it this week. Uh, this one is titled Twitter Senior Engineer Talks Elon Musk Takeover and New Undercover Video. Twitter does not believe in free speech. Employees at Tech Giant are commie as fuck. And yes, they are. Now, in the uh, article here, it says Project Veritas published explosive undercover footage on Monday night featuring one of Twitter's senior engineers discussing the dynamics behind internal reactions to the acquisition of the tech company by business magnate Elon Musk. In the video, Twitter senior engineer Siru Marugison, Marugison says many of his colleagues have voiced that this would be my last day if it happens, referring to Musk's highly publicized intended purchases, uh, purchase of Twitter. He also says employees at Twitter are stress eating and are worried for our jobs. Oh, look at you. But at least you can find food unlike those babies, huh? More significant than those sound bites are the reasons he says employees at Twitter feel this way. Our jobs are at stake. He's a capitalist and we weren't really operating as capitalists. <laughs> More like very socialist. Rugison says, before adding, we're all like commie as fuck. Rugison also pointed to free speech being one of the core issues employees at Twitter have with its new likely owner, Elon Musk. When asked about the difference between Twitter's definition of free speech and Musk, the senior engineer left no room for interpretation. Twitter does not believe in free speech. 
Back in March, Musk said he was a free speech absolutist and clarified his comments further, adding, by free speech, I simply mean that which matches the law. I am against censorship that goes far beyond the law. If people want less free speech, they will ask government to pass laws to that effect. Therefore, going beyond the law is contrary to the will of the people. Rugeson also explained how Twitter employees did all they could to revolt against Musk's takeover of the company. We did all we could, like, revolt against it. A lot of employees were revolting against it, but at the end of the day, the board of directors have the say. He added that he thought the board acted on their best interests because they didn't want to get sued. They're always looking out for themselves at the end of the day. At the time of this writing, Twitter has yet to respond to a request for comment. Now, the next video that they released too, this one entitled Twitter led uh, lead client partner says woke ideology responsible for company's inability to profit affirms Twitter not here to give people free speech. So again, it touches upon the free speech stuff, but that doesn't shock me. It's the company that doesn't give a fuck about profit thing. Because like we talked about in our segment uh, about the dissident last week, John Henry, if they're not making money, what's the product? The product is the influence, isn't it? It's the influence that they have. Now, this one, it says that uh, Project Veritas has published the second part of this series on Twitter. This story features undercover footage of lead client partner Alex Martinez, an employee for the tech giant who sometimes speaks on behalf of the company at events. This footage shows a very candid Martinez speaking about how the company's ideology led them to be less profitable among other incendiary comments. Man, he did have some shit to say. Now, it says in the video, Alex Martinez also criticizes Elon Musk's vision of free speech on the platform, saying, The rest of us who have been here believe in something that's good for the planet and not just to give people free speech. What a stupid reductionist thing to say. Now, he also broached the subject of censorship on Twitter saying, people don't know how to make a rational decision if you don't put out correct things that are supposed to be out in the public, right? I don't think so. I think that's wrong. Uh, Despite this, Martinez acknowledges that this very reality seems to be what Musk wants to change. If we're implementing all these rules and Elon wants to dismantle them, then technically our ideology has led us to not making money because we're not making money. And Elon wants to turn it the other way so that we can make money. Wow. And Martinez even made distasteful comments about Musk having Asperger's. He has Asperger's, Martinez says at one point, adding, so he's special. Going further, Martinez later says, we all know that, and that's fine. So here, no one is going to say some fucking crazy shit because he's special. Last May... As he was hosting Saturday Night Live, Musk revealed that he was the first person to host the show with Asperger's. In the video published on Tuesday, Martinez can be uh, seen saying, I'm like, your special needs. You're literally special needs. Literally, though, you really are. So I can't even take what you're saying seriously because you're special. Diversity, inclusion, and equity. (laughs) Ironically enough, Martinez can also be seen in the footage discussing an internal company memo Twitter administrative staff sent in the aftermath of Project Veritas's first part of the series. It's Project Veritas, like some group that's just trying to out the employees, Martinez says, like they're trying to go on dates with them like this and record them. 
And of course, at this time of writing, Twitter has yet to respond to requests for comment, they say. But one of the really creepy things I wanted to mention too about this, I watched the, both videos and the way that he leans in and turns his head and widens his eyes about how he organically uh, met this person that ended up recording him and giving it all to Project Veritas. So, but Project Veritas be in there deep, man. They 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 are getting to people, and I'm I'm here for it. Uh, but uh, this is a shocker. Now, we all know that the votes were were bullshit, but half of Joe Biden's Twitter followers as well are fake. Audit reveals. Now, this is from uh, Dara Roche uh, from 5-17-2022, and it says, Almost half of President Joe Biden's current 22.2 million followers on Twitter are fake accounts, according to an audit tool provided by software company SparkToro. SparkToro's tool found that 49.3% of accounts following the official POTUS Twitter account are fake followers based on analysis of a number of factors, including location issues, default profile images, and new users. Tesla CEO Elon Musk, who is currently trying to buy Twitter, has expressed concerns about the number of fake accounts on a potential crackdown. Uh, could see users such as Biden lose a huge number of followers. Now, it says Musk said early on Tuesday that his $44 billion deal to purchase the social media company could not go ahead until issues with fake accounts were resolved, and he appeared to criticize Twitter CEO Prague Agarwal. Musk, the world's richest man, claimed that 20% of Twitter accounts were fake or spam accounts, and that figure was four times what Twitter claims and could be much higher. My offer was based on Twitter's SEC filings being accurate, Musk wrote yesterday. Yesterday, Twitter CEO publicly refused to show proof of less than 5%. This deal cannot move forward until he does. Refuse to show proof. I wonder why. Now, it says in the article, it is not clear how Musk arrived at the 20% figure. He and Agarwal exchanged a series of tweets about the issue of fake accounts on Monday. In quotes, it says, we suspend over half a million spam accounts every day, usually before any of you even see them on Twitter. We also lock millions of accounts each week that we suspect may be spam. I wonder if they do that to us, John Henry. If they can't pass human verification challenges, such as CAPTCHAs, phone verification, etc., Agarwal wrote. Now it says the Twitter CEO also said the company has estimated every quarter that less than 5% of monet I'm sorry, monetizable daily active users or MDAU were spam accounts. Musk initially reported to Agarwal's 13-tweet thread with a poop emoji <laughs> and later wrote, how do advertisers know what they're getting for their money? This is fundamental to the financial health of Twitter. There, have been so, there's, there has been speculation that Musk may have been using the fake accounts issue to negotiate a better deal for Twitter. Twitter's stock price is now $36.80 per share significantly less than the $54.20 per share that Musk has offered. SparkToro defines fake followers as accounts that are unreachable and will not see the account's tweets, either because they're spam, bots, propaganda, I like that one, etc., or because they're no longer active on Twitter. The software company's tool also found that Biden's account has more fake followers than most. <laughs> 
the most popular president ever. More, fo- more fake followers than most. Makes sense. Uh, Musk's account has more than 93.3 million followers, and SparkToro's tool found that 70.2% of those accounts are fake. Wow. Musk announced on Twitter on Friday that the deal to buy the company was temporarily on hold pending details supporting calculation that spam or fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. Twitter has been reporting that 5% estimates since 2019, and it has been mentioned in the company's last 11 quarterly reports. Musk's decision to put the deal on hold uh, knocked 15% off of Twitter's share price and pre-market trading on Friday. So, John Henry, on this on this topic here, and we talked about it a little bit last week with the dissonant and everything, right? About the manipulation there, uh, about the whole uh, bees versus flies thing that Omar and the movie launched. Um, and we you know, kind of came up with our own against the, the spores versus the locusts. But uh, this is just further proof that Twitter is fucking garbage. Like the people on there are fake. Twitter's fake. The people that run it are definitely fucking fake. And and what they use this for too. I mean, it, it's 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 not even commercially viable for something like uh, somebody like us to even use because well, we can get retweeted by people that have thousands of followers, like some of our friends have. And thank you all for doing that. But nobody sees the shit. Nobody even sees it. I get zero notifications. Nobody follows our stuff. Anything that I post individually is absolutely buried. We are certainly shadow banned to all hell on Twitter. But then when it comes to even people like Elon Musk, all those fake followers, why? Why do this? Why, why pump it up like this? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Okay. Was he really interested in buying that entity? Mm-hmm. Or was the whole point behind this to expose them for who they are? Knowing how much fraudulent activity was taking place, how many fake accounts existed, because, look, we obviously shared our opinion on Elon last week. The fact that Tesla is literally funding people to travel outside of the state uh, to get abortions if need be, um, you know, with the dismantling of Roe versus Wade, not happy about that. Not in agreement with that. You all know that we are extremely pro-life here at the New Prisoners. Unless you're a pedophile, then we're pro-death penalty. Yes. Um, but outside of that, you know, say what you will about Elon Musk, but the man is fucking brilliant. He's brilliant. He's one of the most prolific thinkers of our time, if not the most, genuinely. Uh, you're talking about a guy that's you know drilling holes under cities for high-speed trains. Largest manufacturer of electric vehicles, solar panels, right? I mean, so many things that he does. So at the end of the day, he knew that legally that purchase couldn't take place. Plus, we're also looking at things like SEC fraud, right? I I mean, they're stating these numbers. And his point when he references the advertisers, uh, there's a lot of fraudulent activity happening. So did he really want the platform Or was this entire thing just a genius way to really expose that entity for what it is? I think it could be both. I hate to do that to you with your question, but I think that... Well, I don't want your honest answer. It's just something where I think it could be a genius move at exposing them, but it also, like it says in the article here, it positions him to gain more. Like if he offered them $54 a share and now it's 32 and then next week it's going to be 25 because they, they revealed that most of this shit on Twitter is fake. And the bots themselves are paid for by places like Saudi Arabia and the Saudi government. 
and God knows who else, <laughs> you know, our own government, maybe, you know, what could that expose? But really at the end, like you said, well, when you look at yeah. how much overlap there is from people that had government roles yeah. that work for Twitter, um, there's no, there'd be no surprise on oh, my and end. intelligence roles too. <laughs> like not, yeah, not just government. Insane. Like I, I just rubber stamp ship. We're talking about spies. <laughs> oh yeah. FBI, CIA, all yeah. of it. It's unreal. But to be able to uh, take a hold of that mast himself, I, I think that that's, that's a power move because all of his other offshoots, like you mentioned, all of his other accomplishments can all be tied into this and he can boost them all through this. It's all one network, really. I mean, if you think about what the future population control grid could look like, I I've definitely take a look at uh, James Corbett's work there, folks uh, out there listening. Uh, James Corbett's been fantastic uh, about the Bill Gates and the population control grid, I believe is the name of that little episode. But really, when you look into like what he provides through transportation, through uh, energy, uh, and this is communication here. Um, he's really cornering all of those different markets. So yes, he's a genius, but he's also cornering all these different markets that he and his shit ass friends are going to be in control of. And let's talk about control of communications too. Let's talk about this. This is from Archide by way of the BBC News. U.S. Anti-Disinformation Task Force Controversial Ministry of Truth halted before full moon. Oh, isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame that it, oh, the Ministry of Truth isn't going to happen? Well, at least right now. I mean, they're, they're just putting it on hold, though, folks. Don't get too excited. It says the new U.S. Anti-Disinformation Task Force is part of the Department of Homeland Security that Dan Crenshaw will give all of your fucking tax dollars to, regardless if you want them to or not, that eyepatched fuck. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security, or DHS, decided to suspend the much controversial anti-disinformation task force just three weeks after it launching the disinformation management committee. Critics have lashed out at it, warning that such a government agency would be used to censor free speech. So people like us and people like you listening. And then on Wednesday, May 18th, the director of the commission, Nina Jankowitz, announced her resignation. Oh, no. Citing despicable personal attacks and threats so you mean to tell me, John Henry, that shit-talking on the internet shut this shit down and made this bitch quit her job? Well, did you see Ducey's question? Which was, um, in our new press secretary is just in fucking shambles. <laughs> she can't, I mean, she's worse than Saki Puppet. Oh. Um... But Ducey, you know, he executed this beautifully, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically he had asked her a few pointed questions, and at the end, he goes, so my question is, they're pausing the disinformation task force because of disinformation that was uh, perpetrated by that task force. And to watch um, Jean-Pierre, whatever the fuck her name is, like literally just eat her shoe. (laughs) was extraordinary. So I got to give Peter Ducey credit, man. I mean, the guy is, is the best when it comes to asking these pointed questions. Yeah, it's not like we get a whole hell and, of a lot out of the white house press corps, especially since they kicked OAN out. Um, yeah. Know, Chanel Rion was, was part of that for like a minute and they were like, Oh, she asked real questions. Well, fuck all that. We can't have that. And then they threw her out. I mean, Nina Jankowitz was a fucking lunatic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she was an extremist. Mm-hmm. 
And the thing is, it's not even about people launching attacks on her character. It was people simply posting videos of her saying absurd shit. She was so biased. There's no way she was neutral. There was no way she was going to be objective. She was a fucking extremist. Well, yeah, because people were posting reality, John Henry. And that's, that's, exactly. that was the whole point of this, is to create a non-reality that they could... So, I mean, it was her about. exposure that halted all of this. It wasn't just uh, ultra-maga players, you know, um, launching personal attacks. I mean, you know, the, the woman, again, she was an extremist. And she was exposed for who she is. So fuck off. I hope she's going to do musicals at fucking local community colleges. Now. That'd be great. And good fucking riddance. And good job to all of you shit talkers out there. You know, good job to everybody that shared that information that got on this story that saw that the government was trying to put in a, a ministry of truth and people actually went to their keyboards and their phones and their, and everything else and, and actually did something about it. I'm proud of them. You know, and, and look, and I understand a lot of people hate the idea and the concept of Q but Anons are very real, yep. right? And then these are citizen journalists and citizen investigators. And I got to tell you, you know, it didn't take any time at all for people to dig up all of her old shit. Yep. And that's one of the beautiful things of the internet and why these types of regulations that they're attempting to push are so detrimental to us because that's their, you know, that is their overarching, the arm of the propaganda machine, well, right now, you have people that are fighting in the name of good that utilize that platform and they utilize that system. So when you look at it, you know, that in itself really showed why it is so imperative that we don't allow them to stifle our First Amendment because when they're exposed, we win. We won this. The Ministry of Truth is done now. And we won that fucking battle. That's you guys. That's our listeners. That's people that are just patriots and are fighting for the right to, to maintain our constitution because of the utter importance that it holds all of us in everyday lives. So great work to everybody. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot and, you know, there's tough things that we have to fight every single day, but we have to celebrate our wins. And that one is a massive win. Uh, so great job to everybody. I, I mean, the scary part is what's happened in Davos right now, you know, because they essentially want to hand over all of governmental power to a global entity in a world health organization, which did nothing but embarrass itself throughout the entire pandemic. I mean, you want to talk about misinformation for fuck's sake it was absolutely ridiculous. You know, and that's why what's happening this week is a pretty terrifying thing because that supersedes any type of individual company's constitutional rights, Right, so what they'll utilize is they'll utilize pandemics and illness and sickness and monkeypox and monkeyfuck and whatever you want to call it, whatever come next, um, you know, to to completely control us and take away all of our constitutional rights. So you know that's the other thing that people need to be paying attention to right now and what we need to fight for right now because that's not a positive thing taking place, you know. And and I love the um, the the leader of Brazil. You know, he came out and said, no fucking way. He didn't say, I mean, he might have said, fuck, I don't speak oh, Portuguese. Oh, yeah, Bolsonaro? Yeah, um, he's not down with any of the yeah, bullshit, he just that's said, for sure. This ain't happening. Yeah. Absolutely not. You know, and then you look at the big push to the European countries that didn't really participate in the lockdowns and the masks and the mandates. You know, and why do you think that there's such a big push for them to become involved in the WHO? I mean, that's the biggest thing. You know, when I was one of Trump's biggest to me, wins was taking us out of that corrupt organization. 
And for us to no longer be funding that organization, I mean, we talked about that in early podcasts. When you look at the amount of money that we put towards that entity compared to a country like China. Well, I mean, again, you would talk about hypocrisy and, and, you know, irony. I mean, that was to the umph degree without question. So, you know, that's why our constitution is so incredibly important. And folks, I'd like to uh, apologize on behalf of myself and number six for our coughing. Um, oh, yeah. Is, <laughs> I'm going to edit out a lot of them, but yeah, some I might yeah. leave them, the, the real juicy sounding ones, just so people can enjoy them all. Yeah. We, see? Damn it, Fauci, you fucking bastard. Yep. Um, so, yeah, folks. So, you know, we won that battle. Let's continue to fight and chip away at it. And we'd have to. We, we have no choice but to do that. So, congratulations to everybody that fought for the right thing and, and uh, on that big W on the board. Yeah. And the stuff that you brought up is actually going to be our next topic. But before we get to it, John Henry, I wanted to give a shout out here because in the article it says, civil liberties and human rights groups such as Defense for Democracy and Electronic Frontier Foundation have objected, arguing that the group's mandate is unclear and issued a warning shortly after the group's formation last month that the Department of Homeland Security is arguing over privacy and speech, poor track record on liberty rights. So... Let's get on to, uh, this has been the hot topic this past week. I don't believe I have the monkey pox. I believe it just got warm here in the Northeast where I'm at, and uh, shit just started to bloom all of a sudden. So, uh, been searching around the house for a spare tab of Claritin tea and everything. Um, definitely, definitely on the, uh, the, the, what is it? The Vix Sinex. That's the shit that I love, man. That was, if you're congested out there, folks, that shit will wipe out anything. It doesn't last 12 hours with me, though. Um, I only get to about 8 or 10. But it still will clear you up if you need it. But uh, monkeypox goes global. Why scientists are on alert. This is from Nature. Um, now, I this is from May 20th of 2022. It says, scientists are trying to understand why the virus, a less lethal relative of smallpox. Now, Remember, like, wasn't it like a couple weeks ago where we were asking, maybe a couple months ago, time flies when the world's ending. <laughs> where were we asking, like, why are all these companies picking up smallpox vaccines? Why is Bill Gates pushing smallpox and smallpox vaccine research? Well, we might have a, an answer to that. This is from Max Kozlov. Um, it says more than 120 confirmed or suspected cases of monkeypox, a rare viral disease seldom detected outside of Africa, have been reported in, in at least 11 non-African countries in the past week. How the fuck can that happen? The emergence of the virus in separate populations across the world where it doesn't usually appear has alarmed scientists and sent them racing for answers. Now, a while back, I told you all about uh, something that exists out there called gen bank or gene bank where they can hold all these little viruses basically um in a database and send them to labs anywhere so if, as long as you have the right type of equipment you yourself yes you um just like a creepy crawler machine or you know easy bake oven you can print out and make your own little virus you could 3d print your own viruses and even people like ray kurzweil a google fellow spoke out against this because they did it with the Spanish flu. Not the kind of thing you really want to fuck with. Like of all the hierarchies of like nasty things you could get, that's that one's in the upper echelon. You don't want to fuck with the Spanish flu. Um, you don't want to fuck with smallpox either. So 
Let's talk about this. It, it says in quotes, it's eye-opening to see this kind of spread, says Anne uh, Rimoin, Rimoin, an epidemiologist at the University of California, Los Angeles, who has studied monkeypox in the Democratic Republic of Congo for more than a decade. Called monkeypox because researchers first detected it in laboratory monkeys, laboratory monkeys, in 1958, the virus is thought instead to transmit from wild animals such as rodents to people or from infected people. In an average year, a few thousand cases occur in Africa, typically in the western and central parts of the continent. Uh, but cases outside Africa have been limited to a handful that are associated with travel to Africa or with the importation of infected animals. The number of cases detected outside of Africa in the past week alone, which is all but certain to increase, has already surpassed the number of detected outside the continent since 1970. I wonder what could have caused that. When the virus was first identified as causing disease in humans, this rapid spread is what has scientists on high alert. But monkeypox is no SARS-CoV-2. So it is the new challenger here. So this is if, if COVID is the Hulk Hogan, this is the Andre the Giant of smallpox, but it's really just monkeypox. Uh, not, not that I want it or anything. That'd be gross. The coronavirus uh, responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic says uh, Jay Hooper, a virologist at the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick. Where have we heard that before? Fort Detrick, Maryland. What, what could have been released from there? Oh, well, maybe... Maybe COVID. Um, it doesn't transmit from person to person as readily. And because it is related to the smallpox virus, there are already treatments. Of course, there are. There are already treatments and vaccines on hand for curbing its spread. So while scientists are concerned, and I wonder who owns the patents to all those vaccines. I wonder who sold those and made bank on those. Hmm. And I wonder why we bought them too, not knowing, of course, not knowing that something like this was going to happen. Um, so while scientists are concerned because any new viral behavior was worrying, they are not panicked. Unlike SARS-CoV-2, which spreads through tiny airborne drops. Now, listen up here, folks, that um, may still be wearing a mask on occasion. Unlike SARS-CoV-2, which spreads through tiny airborne droplets called aerosols, <laughs> monkeypox is thought to spread from close contact with bodily fluids, such as saliva from coughing. So the way that it was explained to us from that. Hold on a second. Slow <laughs> down say- that turbo. We're also going to talk about how it's commonly spread as an STD through sexual transmission. Now let's talk about a super spreader event of sexual transmission. So there was an enormous pride event in Spain. 80,000 people from all over the world attended. Now they're looking at that event as a source for this outbreak, starting to be a global outbreak, if you will. A couple things I want to point out. One, we have had a monkeypox outbreak in the United States. Uh, I was reading about it earlier today, and my apologies for not having the article handy. Uh, But apparently there was 71 cases, nothing major, no big deal. Second thing I want to point out. A couple months ago, we were having a conversation about 
a laboratory transport truck in Pennsylvania that crashed. Do you remember what the result of that crash was, number six? Yeah, the, the monkeys escaped and one of the monkeys bit a lady. That's correct, sir. The monkeys escaped. Now, I may be a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but wouldn't it be something if those were monkeypox positive monkeys when that truck just so happened to crash and then the monkeys escaped? Hmm. Almost sounds like a setup to a setup. You, would, that, would that sound like a setup to a setup? Does that sound like something where they can go, we have now went back and found that the source of this outbreak was in fact the laboratory monkeys that crashed? Or, on the other hand, is the setup to the setup to hide the fact that those were, you know, genetically modified monkeys with monkeypox, and that indeed was the source of it, but now instead we're going to talk about how people from the African nation went to the Pride Festival in Spain, people had sex with each other, blotted bodily fluids aplenty. Next thing you know, now we're dealing with this. Now, what's also ironic is the vast majority of articles that are referencing monkeypox are actually using stock footage that's taken from shingles symptoms photographs. Mm. So... I don't believe that the information we're receiving is accurate. Also known as fake news. Now, just by saying those two words, I know that makes me a domestic terrorist. <laughs> um, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And then you also have the CEO of a major pharma company this week talking about medications that also have some type of tracking chip in them that records when that, that drug is digested. And, and number six, what was, what was that last statement he made? Oh, Alec Borla from Pfizer? He said, imagine the compliance. Imagine the compliance when now they can genuinely track whether or not you've ingested a drug. Thank you, Alec Borla. Go fuck yourself. With, with a horse. Back to you, yeah, sir. Just a couple things. What do you think about that? He's an equestrian guy, so maybe a, a big old horse dick, too, for, for Albert. <laughs> but um, I, we're, we're actually, speaking of which, though, it actually goes into some of that stuff that you mentioned, too. Um, not necessarily about uh, Spain, but it's just about the, the area. And, like, so whenever we, whenever we were doing our, our show about Lord Fauci way back when, too, we, we looked into some of the research with Fauci's experiments with the gay community. You know, and and how he um, used uh, certain drugs that basically destroyed uh, gay men's health. You know, and, and gave be AZT. Yeah, AZT, absolutely. So uh, all this kind of. Oh, he also did research in places like bathhouses and gay nightclubs. Yeah, really, really good research. I heard um, mm -hmm. thorough, if you will, thorough. deep, deep research. It says on May nineteenth, researchers in Portugal uploaded the first draft genome of the monkeypox virus that was detected there. But Gustavo Palacios, a virologist at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City, emphasizes that it's still a very early draft and more work needs to be done before drawing any definitive conclusions. 
Now, why would he say that? Because when they upload this first draft genome, could it be like with COVID where they upload the, the genome and they look at it and they go, oh, this has definitely been fucked with. This is definitely out of a lab. We can't have the public know this. So that's why they're already warning people. Yeah, this is still still rough draft. Don't 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 draw any conclusions. But it says what researchers can tell from this preliminary genetic data is that the monkeypox virus is related to a viral strain predominantly found in Western Africa. This strain causes milder disease and has a lower death rate, about one percent in poor rural populations. So about the same kind of death rate you would get with also the other thing that they released out of a lab. Uh, compared with that one uh, circulates in Central Africa. But exactly how much of the strain causing the current outbreaks differs from the one in Western Africa and whether the virus is popping up in various countries or linked to one another remains unknown. Answers to those questions can help determine if the sudden uptick in case, cases sorry, stems from a mutation that allows this monkeypox virus to transmit more readily than those of the past. Where have they done something... Isn't that called gain of function? I think I know. I think I know a time where they. Okay, yeah. Let's just go on. And if each of the outbreaks traces back to a single origin, says Rena McIntyre of an infectious disease epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, unlike SARS CoV 2, a rapidly evolving RNA virus whose variants have regularly eluded immunity from vaccines and prior infection, monkeypox virus is a relatively large DNA virus. And DNA viruses are better at detecting and repairing mutations than RNA viruses, which means it's unlikely that the monkeypox virus has suddenly mutated to become adept at human transmission. So what she's saying is, is that it just suddenly deciding that it's going to be more communicable doesn't really fucking happen. But maybe it's happening. So how could that happen? Now, deeply concerning, it says, still, for monkeypox to be detected in people with no apparent connection to one another suggests that the virus might have been spreading silently. A fact that Andrea McCollum, an epidemiologist who heads the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, pox virus team, calls deeply concerning. Now, again, should we take anything from the fucking CDC? Probably not. But it says, unlike SARS-CoV-2, which can spread asymptomatically, monkeypox does not usually go unnoticed when it infects a person, in part because of the skin lesions it causes. If monkeypox could spread asymptomatically, it would be especially troubling because it would make the virus harder to track. Another puzzle, it says, is why almost all of the case clusters include men aged 20 to 50, many whom are gay, bisexual, and have sex with men, which apparently is GBMSM. I wonder if that's on uh, Dan Crenshaw's profile on Instagram. We'll have to check in a moment. Although monkeypox isn't known to be sexually transmitted, sexual activity certainly constitutes close contact, Ramoyne says. The most likely explanation for this unexpected pattern of transmission, McIntyre says, is that the virus was coincidentally introduced into a GBMSM community, and the virus has continued circulating there. Kind of like AIDS? Um, scientists 
will have a better idea of the origin of the outbreaks and the risk factors for infection once an epidemiological investigation is complete. Oh, I really I really count on these fuckers to do a, a really thorough investigation, don't we? And, and which can take weeks and involves rigorous contact tracing. Again, it's all about the contact tracing, folks, too. When you think about all the vertical monopolies in the tech field and how much at stake they had for being able to do this contract tracing bullshit for the population control grid, uh, yeah, they have a lot at stake because everything is going to be tied into that. Everything. Now it says containment strategy. Scientists have been keeping an eye on monkeypox ever since the eradication campaign for smallpox. Its cousin virus wound down in the 1970s. Once smallpox was no longer a threat thanks to worldwide vaccinations, sure, uh, public health officials stopped recommending smallpox inoculation. So again, here's they're going to come out with it. They're going to say it which also kept monkeypox at bay. With each year that has passed since smallpox eradication, the population with weakened or no immunity to these viruses has grown. There have been a few outbreaks since then. The Democratic Republic of Congo, for example, has been grappling with monkeypox for decades, and Nigeria has been experiencing a large outbreak with about 500 suspected and more than 200 confirmed cases since 2017, when the country reported its first case in more than 39 years. The United States also reported an outbreak in 2003 when a shipment of rodents from Ghana spread the virus to pet prairie dogs in Illinois and infected more than 70 people. Who the fuck has pet prairie dogs? Uh, yet public health authorities are not powerless against monkeypox as a precaution against bioterrorism. Thank you, George Bush. Countries such as the United States maintain a supply of smallpox vaccines. Hooray! We just so happen to have them. We just so happen to have the solution to the problem that we may have created, as well as an antiviral treatment thought to be highly effective against the virus. I wonder who has the patent on that. The therapies probably wouldn't be deployed on a large scale, though McCollum says uh, healthcare workers would probably instead use a method called ring vaccination to contain the spread of monkeypox this would vaccinate the close contacts of people who have been infected with monkeypox to cut off any routes of transmission and on the basis of the data that she has been that she has seen so far McCollum thinks that the current outbreaks probably won't necessitate containment strategies beyond ring vaccination so another experiment on people and people in, on the front lines too, people in hospitals, people in you know, doctors, nurses, people like that. The, you know, the ones that didn't get fired for not taking the last vaccine. Uh, even in areas where monkeypox occurs every day, she says, it's still a relatively rare infection. But like you talked about, John Henry, we we'll talk about this too in a second. You know, what's interesting is, you know, I always look for the worst in these things. And that's not a matter of being a pessimist. It's just a matter of trying to prepare yourself with what might come. What would be a really quick way to push how dangerous homophobic people are? Uh, now I'm just, I'm fucking throwing this against the wall. But as we go through this, this is what I think. So if this becomes something that's starting to spread in the gay community... Right. And let's say that straight people go, no, 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 I'm not going to get that because I'm not gay and I'm not likely to get it. Uh, what do you think? I'm just throwing a thought out there. 
Because again, I just expect the worst of the worst from these fucking monsters. And they always use that bullshit, don't they? I mean, they always, always. They always position it like, oh, it's always race. You, you hate the, the gay sex, people and you want them to die. Yeah. If you're not yeah. taking your monkeypox vaccine, you're a selfish human being. If you don't take the experimental monkeypox vaccine, you bigot. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, it's, uh, Stephen Colbert would be back on after having long COVID or whatever the fuck he's got, got going on there. Da- dancing around with monkeys and, and vaccines. Monkeys and yeah. syringes. Yeah. And gay men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of gay men, I'm sure. Well, yeah, in his circles. Yeah. <laughs> so this, uh, this I pulled from Legal Insurrection. Alarm sounded over WHO's Global Pandemic Treaty. The WHO will have total authority over emergency operations in the United States if there's ever a public health emergency. This is not good, folks. Not at all. This is not good. Not at all. Uh, look at that face on Biden there. That's a great one. I have to clip that one out. Now, in the wake uh, of the myriad failures during the COVID pandemic response, World Health Organization officials did little self-reflection. Instead, they decided that they needed even more power, of course they do, over the global population. Subsequently, the idea of a global pandemic treaty was born. COVID-19 illustrated the need for enhanced preparedness and closer cooperation at a global level, improved collaboration between research centers around the globe, and better coordination of in- international funding could improve monitoring of risks and knowledge sharing about new infectious diseases. Global coordination of of stockpiling could ensure countries have access to essential supplies. A pandemic agreement could also lead to better response mechanisms and tackle inequities in access to vaccines, medicines, and diagnostics. On December 1st, 2021, the members of the World Health Organization, or WHO, reach consensus to start the process to draft and negotiate a convention, agreement, or other international instrument under the Constitution of the World Health Organization to strengthen pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. The WHO will convene next week, and one of the issues of its focus will be that treaty. It will then deliver a progress report to the 76th World Health Assembly in 2023 with the aim of adopting the instrument by 2024. There we go. Fox News Channel host Tucker Carlson took a look at the treaty and began sounding the alarm. It says here, the World Health Organization gets to define what a pandemic is, when a pandemic is in progress, and how long a pandemic lasts. Then you read the fine print and you realize the WHO will have total authority over emergency operations in the United States if there's ever a public health emergency. Huh? What qualifies exactly as a public health emergency? Well, they don't define that. Of course they don't. They, they leave themselves those loosely or you know vaguely worded uh, lines so they can pretty much do whatever the fuck they want, just like how Section 230 of the uh, Internet Communications Act is, is, is written. So, but... But they get to. They get to define whatever they want, basically. Now, they get to decide as well what a public health emergency is, and then they have total authority. You can see where this is going. Now, the Biden administration has made certain that unelected bureaucrats, so again, usurping your constitutional rights, uh, usurping your government, law, sovereignty, anything, ethics, the, the WHO, 
have total authority to declare and define public health emergencies. They did it explicitly. The White House eliminated provision that would have required, again, the White House eliminated a provision that would have required the World Health Organization to consult with an attempt to obtain verification from the state party and whose territory the event is allegedly occurring in. So if you have something, let me get this straight. Though our white our White House here in America eliminated that provision that would require the, the the WHO to consult with an attempt to obtain verification from the state party in whose territory the event is allegedly occurring in. Meaning that if it's happening in your neighborhood, folks, they don't even have to ask you about it. They don't have to contact your representative at all. No power, no local power, not even not even national power, not even federal power, global power just gets to take over your little town. So what if you have a little outbreak somewhere? What happens? Now it says of the many issues Carlson has with the proposed treaty, he slammed the equity approach. And this is again through every single thing we've pretty much talked about this episode, right? You see how all of this platform connects with this dogma, with these little buzzwords like equity, approach to the distribution of medical relief hard. According to the treaty, those vaccines and essential medicines, because it gets better on every page, will be distributed not on the basis of need, but on the basis of equity. Equity is quoted, says, critically important for global health, both as a principle and as an outcome. That's what the treaty declares. Therefore, the World Health Organization will ensure equitable and effective access to vaccines. Of course, that's the number one. That's always the first one they talk about. I wonder why. Therapeutics. You mean like the, the vaccines ended up being, sort of, if not worse. Uh, diagnostics and essential supplies for the clinical trials. <laughs> and that means, again, quoting, healthcare workers and the most vulnerable will have priority access. Not the sickest. Not the people who need the medicine most, but the most vulnerable in a larger sense. In other words, favored groups get medicine first. There is no graver violation of medical ethics than this. If you're skeptical of Carlson's claim, or you want confirmation, I give you this piece in the British Medical Journal. Pandemic Treaty, a chance to level up on equity. One of the key principles which has underscored the pandemic instrument discussions at the World Health Assembly special session, the 150th World Health Organization of Executive Board meeting, and the INB's public hearings has been that of equity. Yet in practice, equity has not been related to access and distribution of medical countermeasures such as vaccines in future pandemics. The failures of the patent-based system and advanced market commitments has undermined the success of global public goods, approach such as COVAX. Um, many states, particularly those low- and middle-income countries that have suffered from being unable to purchase COVID-19 vaccine, oh, I'm sure they've really suffered there, are demanding that equitable access and distribution is included into the pandemic instrument. A more comprehensive equity must also be central to pandemic governance in the future, especially gender, racial, geographical, 
so like your point on the map matters i don't know why and social economic equity wow these intersectional areas of policy making have been widely ignored in previous infectious disease protocols to the detriment of marginalized communities that are most affected by downstream effects of inequitable and neutral policies based on an inequitable and neutral neutral policies are the enemy it says based on assumptions that all people experience health emergencies in the same way (laughs) yeah all people die in the same way yeah okay uh senator steve danes who's a republican from montana i believe and senator tom cotton a republican from arizona sent a or is it arkansas uh, sent a letter to Biden stating that the U.S. must leave the corrupt and inept organization. These senators take issue with the Biden administration's plan to support amendments to the International Health Regulators, IHR, from January 18th, which they say uh, would increase the WHO's power at the expense of the U.S. and its allies. In quotes, it says the WHO has demonstrated an abysmal lack of competence throughout the COVID-19 pandemic which has destroyed the organization's credibility and undermined the public's confidence in it, wrote the senators. They cite the organization's false claim in January 2020 that the COVID-19 virus was not spread by human-to-human transmission and the WHO Director General's praise of China's handling of the pandemic. And I think we all remember those good times. All right, let's move on. This is, I pulled from the the brownstone because china's doing a great job now with 26 million people locked oh, up. they're just smacking it out of the park aren't they john henry i mean they're still doing a great yeah, job killing all those dogs and cats they've, they've literally evaporated every ounce of fucking humanity that the people have there yeah man so disgusting now it says here from this brownstone institute article the fda's audacious move to boost kids aged 5 to 11 years this is from Marianne DeMasi, uh, dated May 19th, 2022. It says, This week, the Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, authorized the use of a single booster of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine in children aged 5 to 11, at least five months after completion of a primary series of vaccinations. The CDC's advisory committee is expected to rubber stamp the decision today. According to the FDA, the evidence underlying its decision came from a subset of 67 kids who were part of an ongoing trial, uh, unlike all the other people that are part of this shit in that ongoing trial, and were boosted seven to nine months after their primary series. They showed higher antibody levels one month after the booster compared to before the booster. The decision by the FDA is audacious for several reasons. Number one, lack of data. Just when the FDA should be demanding better data, the agency lowers its standards. No rigorous studies in this age group have shown that a third dose can produce important outcomes, such as hospitalizations and deaths. Let me repeat that. No rigorous studies in this age group have shown that a third dose can reduce any fucking important outcomes such as hospitalizations and deaths. The randomized clinical trials have not been done, despite Pfizer earning billions in revenue. 
Instead, the decision was based on the presence of quote-unquote neutralizing antibodies because they are easy to measure and study. Not only do antibody levels fade quickly, but they also do not necessarily correlate with protection. The FDA's own website says that antibody tests should not be used to evaluate a person's level of immunity or protection from COVID-19. And yet, this is what the agency has done. This follows previous data from New York during the Omicron surge, showing Pfizer's vaccine effectiveness in 5 to 11-year-olds plummeted from 68% in mid-December of 21 down to only 12% by January 2022. So again, 68% in mid-December down to 12% by January. That's well below the FDA's original threshold of 50%. (laughs) The myopic focus on antibodies by drug regulators and health authorities has been at the expense of considering other important aspects of the immune system, such as CD4 plus T cells and natural killer responses, which play a crucial role in preventing infection and are thought to be more durable than antibodies. Unfortunately, these data have been largely ignored by authorities. Dr. Peter Marks, director of the FDA's Center for Biologics, Evaluation, and Research, acknowledged that data increasingly shows that protection after two doses wanes over time and that a third shot could help boost protection for children in the 5 to 11 age group because the benefits outweigh the risks. I hate that fucking statement. And who the fuck are you to tell me that the benefits outweigh the risks of my body? However, in terms of safety, the FDA has only assessed approximately 400 children who received a booster dose and any serious rare harms would not be detected in such a small sample size. So let me read that again. The FDA has only assessed approximately 400 kids who received a booster dose, which means that any serious, any serious or rare harms, they call them, wouldn't be detected in such a small sample size. So that means they don't even know what kind of harm it could do to people. They have no fucking clue, and they're going to push it anyway. Bastards. Now, also, on the ignoring natural immunity front, says by authorizing a third dose for 5 to 11-year-olds, most of whom already have natural immunity, is unlikely to provide further benefit and may expose them to unnecessary harm. The U.S. CDC reported that about 75% of children and adolescents have serologic evidence or antibodies from a previous infection and therefore have already developed robust and durable protection against COVID-19. The UK government estimated that over 85% of children aged 5 to 11 had contracted COVID-19 by January 2022 and that their acquired natural immunity would provide protection against severe disease or future reinfection. Marty McCary, professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, who just recently hired a groomer, wrote in the Wall Street Journal that natural immunity is likely to be very robust in children given their stronger immune systems. And he said that if a child already had COVID-19, there'd be no scientific basis for vaccination. He also observed that no cases of COVID-19 were documented in either the vaccinated group or the placebo group in children that had previously infected with SARS-CoV-2 during Pfizer's trial, 
reinforcing the benefit of natural immunity. Now, under advisory uh, panel, it says the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, or VRBPAC, not only provides insight and expertise to the agency, but it lends credibility and trustworthiness to the FDA decision-making process. However, the FDA did not convene its advisory panel this week, (laughs) saying that it had already discussed boosters at a prior meeting. Yeah, they already talked about that shit. And that further discussion would not be of any benefit. It wouldn't be of any benefit to get third-party experts in to talk about it. Um, Some members have raised concerns that the drug regulator had repeatedly moved ahead with decisions on booster doses without holding open public discussions and say the agency is relying less and less on its independent experts for advice before approving drugs. I wonder why. In a recent analysis, researchers showed that only 6% of drugs approved by the FDA were reviewed by advisory panels in 2021. Wow, them them standards, huh? That's down from 55% in 2010. I wonder what's eroded all that. I wonder what's destroyed that culture there, John Henry. Could it be the corporatism? Could it be fat titty Bill Gates and all of his money and all these other fucks? Now it says, if public confidence mirrors these figures, regulatory agencies have a long way to go and reduce regaining trust in their decision-making process. And then lastly, uptake. Despite the continued expansion of boosters, enthusiasm for the vaccines seem to be waning. (laughs) The COVID-19 vaccines are not as effective at preventing infection and transmission as originally hoped. And with such a small risk of serious disease in children, parents are becoming less convinced. A recent U.S. survey found almost a third of parents, and this is kind of uplifting, in a way, a recent U.S. survey found almost a third of parents of children under five years said they would definitely not get their child vaccinated in the first place. Now, another 11% stated they will only do so if required, mandated, pussies. And 38% planned to wait in order to see how the vaccine worked for others. So, you go first. Uh, that's a good method, I guess. And... Lastly, it says Pfizer has yet to submit its application to the FDA on a three-dose vaccine for kids under five, but it is expected to do so in the coming weeks. So to wrap up our COVID segment for this week, I pulled this, John Henry. You're going to love this one. This is from Euronews. Can AI predict whether COVID patients will live or die? This tool shows doctors who is more at risk. Now... It says, this is from Luke Hurst. This is updated uh, 5-18-2022. It says, a tool. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can, uh, I mean, this will be a relatively easy symptom. Yeah. It's genuinely just registers whether or not you hook somebody up um, to receive oxygen and go on a ventilator. There you go. Boop. Green. Yeah. Dead. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Come on. I mean, it, this is this is fucking scary shit because you know how many people will just take it for granted, like and especially well, and in then the they'll hospitals, justify right? not giving somebody medical treatment. Oh yeah, I mean this is this is where this leads. Yep. Death panels, folks. It's, it's exactly correct. Here are your death panels without calling it death panels. Yeah, your death panel is just a I'm red sorry, light, green you know, light on the wall <laughs> that links to an at AI. At this point, <laughs> you know, we have to, uh, you know, save our resources for people that are less likely to live. So grandma's dead now. Yep. Yep. 
fucking sick, man. Oh. Well, it, it says that uh, the tool has been developed to help healthcare professionals identify hospitalized patients most at risk of dying from COVID-19 using artificial intelligence. The algorithm could help, could help doctors to direct critical care resources. Oh, those, imagine that. It sounds kind of, you know, important if it's critical care resources, right? To those in the most yeah. immediate need, which the developers of the AI tools say could be especially valuable to resource-limited countries, which is going to be all of our countries if, if they have their way. And with no mm-hmm. end in sight for the coronavirus pandemic, with new variants leading to fresh waves of sickness and hospitalization, the scientists behind the tools say there is a need for generalized tools like this, which can be easily rolled out. To develop the tool, scientists use biochemical data from routine blood samples taken from nearly 30,000 patients hospitalized in over 150 hospitals in Spain, where they had that pride event. The uh, the U.S., I, I grabbed that article you sent me, and I'll include that in this week's source list, too. That article that John Henry referenced about Spain and the monkeypox stuff, um, I will put that in this week's source list. So be sure to go over to Substack or Mines and, and sign up there and take advantage of that. But it says here, the U.S., Honduras, uh, Bolivia, and Argentina between March 2020 and February of 2022. Uh, taking blood from so many patients meant the team were able to capture data from people with different immune statuses, vaccinated, unvaccinated, and those with natural immunity. Oh, wow. I wonder if uh, who the most at risk are going to be out of the vaccinated and unvaccinated, seeing that we've seen the negative efficacy of these fucking things. And then it says uh, from people infected with every variant too. Now it says with so much data, they were able to train an AI program to predict the signs of a poor prognosis, regardless of the different immune statuses or variants. Furthermore, they tested it if the time bloods were taken affected the tool's performance. Uh, comparing data from different time points of blood drawing before patients either recovered or died. They found the algorithm predicted with high accuracy. How high? The survival or death of hospitalized patients up to nine days before their either outcome occurred. The resulting algorithm called COVID-19 Disease Outcome Predictor or CODOP or CODOP uses measurements of 12 blood molecules that are normally collected during hospital admissions, meaning the tool can be easily integrated into any hospital. The peer reviewed findings were published in the journal eLife. Man. Now it says uh, more surges of hospitalizations likely. It says the appearance of new SARS-CoV-2 variants, waning immune protection and relaxation of mitigation measures, sure, means that we are likely to continue seeing surges of infections and hospitalizations. Explain the leader of this international project and senior author, David David Gomez Varela, former Max Planck Group leader and current senior scientist at the Division of Pharmacology and Toxicology at the University of Vienna in Austria. There is a need for clinically valuable and generalizable triage tools to assist the allocation of hospital resources for COVID-19, particularly in places where resources are scarce. But these tools need to be able to cope with the ever-changing scenario of a global pandemic, like we just talked about, and must be easy to implement. Gomez Varela added that the team were now working on a follow-up dual model tailored to the current pandemic scenario of increasing infections and cumulative immune protection, 
which will predict the need for hospitalization within 24 hours for patients with primary care and intensive care admission within 48 hours for those already hospitalized. Scientists from a number of institutions were involved in the collaborative development of the tool, including the Max Planck Institute of Experimental Medicine, Tarku University in Finland, the Spanish Society of Internal Medicine, the Argentinian uh, Society of Medicine, and the International Forum, uh, Forum of Internal Medicine. So that wraps up that article, John Henry. But uh, any final thoughts about where we're at with uh, monkeypox versus COVID and all this other bullshit going on? Control, control, control. All of it. Yes. From the dairy industry, <clears throat> baby formula, the currency system. Folks, they don't want you to have any autonomy in how you live your life. And, you know, when you look at all these moving pieces and, you know, we, we reference quite frequently how all of the red strings start to attach, you know, as number six went through um, the awards provided, the NGOs, I mean, all of it, it's all wrapped in the one fucking Kraken that is literally trying to fucking destroy the world as we know it. And that's why we have to continue to do our research, continue to fight, continue to stand together, get every win that we possibly can. Don't settle. Don't resign to the loss. Don't, oh, well, you know, I guess, you know, we just can't do anything about this one. Um, I mean, it is just utter insanity. And when you think about it, be patient with the people around you, especially the ones that disagree with you. Because think about how overwhelming it is for all of you as listeners to the show. Because we, I don't believe that anybody that's ever listened to a single one of our episodes, that this was their first introduction to these topics and this theme and this understanding of what the world really is, right? But keep in mind, as you folks continue to educate yourself and learn and have really great conversations that sometimes are a little bit scary, but great nonetheless, as long as we utilize that information for the right thing. And start to live your life differently. Stop funding these organizations. Stop spending your money with them. I mean, that's one of the main things of what you can accomplish now. You know, I, I had to have this conversation multiple times with my wife about Target. Because I didn't like that they initially were okay with grown men going into women's bathrooms. So at that point, I'm like, enough is enough. And we were just having a conversation the other day. And I go, hey, did you see the, the binding and tucking underwear they're selling at Target? And she's like, what? And I go, yeah, they, they sell it as a sports bra. And literally, like, people online are saying that, hey, your mom and dad won't even know. They're just going to think this is a sports bra, even though it binds your breasts. Or that it tucks your male genitals. Like, I get sometimes Target has some shit on sale. Or maybe it's more convenient to go there. But you have to just not do that. And if somebody asks you, tell you why. Tell them why. I don't like what they support. So that's your boots on the ground job, is to educate the people around you. Be patient and understanding. And if you go, hey, by the way, everything that you know in this world, it's not what it seems. And freedoms you think you have, this is how they're trying to take every one of them away from you. And when I say every fucking one of them, I genuinely mean that. So equip yourself with that knowledge. 
put the damn armor of God on and let's go. You know, this week there should be a lot of praying for Durham, right? For the people that are that are sitting there on his team. You know, this is a really important trial. You know, even though Elon, he's on my shit list right now, you know, the fact that he's even calling out Sussman and Elon Musk is even calling out the fact that he's not happy that his donations went towards frauds and frauding and lies. You know, that you have Jeff Bezos, who again, these aren't good guys, but have him going after Biden. This stuff is important to recognize and see. And understand that you're just not going to get that information from mainstream media in any way, shape, or form. So educate yourself. Send articles. Now, if it's like, you know, fucklibs.com, you know, or letsgobrandon.org, and that's the, um, you know, the, the homepage that you're sending these articles from, nobody's going to take you serious. So do what we do. Spend the time. Find the data. Or even better, let people like us amass the data and then just share it. That's why we do the source list, guys. <clears throat> it's time consuming that we do that so you can equip yourself with the right information. And granted, I understand that sometimes some of the websites we utilize, you know, they kind of fall into that let's go brandon.org. But that being said, it gives you a tool to be able to do some more research yourself. So get your ass to work. Get your ass to work. You know, I'm reading Cam Haynes' book, Endure, and it's an extraordinary and, and just motivational book. And, you know, Cam kind of has two phrases, right? One is, nobody cares, work harder. I love that. And the other one is, keep hammering. And, you know, Cam's a really conservative guy that's accomplished a lot in his life. He's a pretty incredible human. And he does fall into our category. Just did a really good podcast with Andy Frisella on the Real as Fuck podcast. And I highly recommend everybody listens to it. Because they get into the current state of our country, right? But as I think about that, and I think about that nobody cares work harder, that's something that I think about every single day, and you should too. And when it comes to exactly this and, and spending the time, right? So if you just make a casual flippant comment to somebody, well, they don't fucking care. So that's where the work harder piece comes into play. Get more data, Show it to people. Share it with people from a loving, caring place. Guys, we got to fight this fight. Because I promise you this. You look at things like these death panels, and then we're going to determine who to give health care to that has COVID. Guys, we are fighting for our lives and our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives. And it is a fight every second of every single day. So to finish up from me, nobody cares. Work fucking harder. Thanks for coming back and listening to the show. We'll see you guys next week. Awesome. And also, keep talking shit because it, it does make a difference sometimes. And I, I just want to give a quick couple shout outs here. Uh, some of you may be aware that um, David Knight, who's famous for you know doing not only great research, but also he's just been... Fantastic on the, on the COVID stuff uh, for the past two and a half years or so. And um, David and I went on a little vacation because he was moving and had uh, people like Gard Goldsmith, our friend, and uh, also Tony Arterburn fill in for him. And Gard was nice enough to give us a, a really awesome shout out. Um, so I definitely want to thank Gard for that uh, because he, going on a, a, a large platform like David Knight's show that has much more reach than ours, that has uh, just... Again, a, a legacy there, um, you know, of just excellence. 
And for him to be able to to utilize his time on that platform to give us a little shout out, I think that was great. Um, he had on great guests like James Bovard and Eric Shiner from MRC. Um, and he had plenty of other great guests and other people on, but I, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to guard for that. We really appreciate that. But you know, my, my final thoughts for this week, just like John Henry said, um, this might be a fight every day, but we also forget sometimes where we come from. And I think that, uh, maybe this week reflect for where you came from, reflect from maybe where you started. Um, maybe we weren't always this so good, you know, always this good at picking out what's bullshit and what's not. You know, some people are, but, uh, for me, I, I had an awakening, you know, back in 2016, uh, basically seeing what the, what the media treatment for Donald Trump was, uh, regarding the Russiagate scandal. And that piqued my interest in finding alternative media. And if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't be talking to you guys. So there, there's a lot of different routes to get here. Um, there's a lot of different people that could be influences and David Knight's definitely been an influence on me and how I research the show and how I approach topics like this with seriousness. Some sometimes, you know, but, um, and also new friends like, like guard are really showing me a lot. And, and just, he's such a person where he has such a background in not only what he's done in entertainment, like in writing for fucking star Trek and the outer limits, but then also, um, he has a profile on the, Mises Institute too for his writing. So it's just what, such a incredibly talented and diversely talented person, but also an honest human being like people that speak with conviction, people that fight this fight, people that don't look for much in return um, are the exact type of people that you want on your side in this war. So I'm glad to stand behind people like Gar Goldsmith and David Knight and others. So um, I thank all of you for coming here this week. I thank all of our new subscribers. Uh, thank you for subscribing. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do. Um, and then uh, until we meet again, and so we are free. We are the new prisoners. Thank you for listening to the new prisoners. Let us know what you think about this week's topics on our minds page and Substack, or leave a comment under our video on BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, and Brideon. You can also risk being shadow banned, suspended, or permanently banned on Twitter and Instagram with us, or speak freely with us on Gab. Please feel free to share your own sources with us, and remember to share the information we provided you here. You never know what kind of difference it could make. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, email the new prisoner number six at protonmail.com. Provide a brief description of the topic or topics that you would like to discuss and a screener will contact you. You can always choose to appear anonymously. And you can also donate to The New Prisoners through anchor.fm slash the new prisoner number six slash support. There you can make a monthly donation of 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99. We also have a subscribe star where you can make a one-time or recurring contribution at subscribestar.com slash the hyphen new hyphen prisoners, or you could donate US dollars and crypto to us on Mines and Odyssey. All donations go towards studio upgrades to make more content and advertising to spread the word about the show. Every amount is appreciated. Demand answers, not orders. We are the new prisoners. <laughs>